How long is it going to take me to get to LAX, and what time should I be there? If you leave at 2, you have no problems at all. Okay. No problems. Cool. If you leave at 2, you're just going to coast in. Are we live? We're trying to figure out LA traffic, ladies and gentlemen. you got to plan for that shit. Like you a, do, man. Like a natural disaster. <laughs> in many ways, they're very similar. When I moved to Colorado for just a few months and then came back here, it was instantaneous, like the recognition of like what effect it has on me. You know, like there's so many people. You're driving. It's like uh, 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 uh. when you go somewhere where there's very few people. You have there's a a real feeling of relaxation. Like yes. it's legitimate. It's real. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like if you could buy that. Like uh, yeah, man. I'm I'm taking this gum that puts you in like a small town feel, like woodsy Colorado feel going through evergreen looking at the well, you mountains can, you can buy that you just have to get out of out of california yeah you know? no for sure but i was just thinking if you had a pill a pill that did that that would be a really expensive pill or a patch or some gum you know like nicotine gum some some you know peace and quiet gum transport you to the wilderness <laughs> how much would people pay for that right like think about the, the people that buy xanax and shit and just anything just take a little bit of the edge off just take take this edge off I don't know. I would uh, I'd probably just buy it and smoke it. Yeah, I'd smoke the shit out of that. Right. But then would you be happy like living in downtown L.A. in some graffiti-covered no, building no, hearing I, the horns go off constantly. I love the weather here. I do. I think that's why I, I have to come out for work or anything else. I never mind because every day it's perfect. Except I've been here for like four days and it's rained most of the time. So it's my luck. But uh, LA's traffic, like a beautiful. Man, you just basically, I, I think you just sort of... Except that you're going to live in your car, right? You're going to be in your car a lot. You're going to be yeah. in your car. So everybody has nice cars. That's why everybody drives nice cars in L.A. It's also because we're all really, really shallow. Oh. We want to show everybody. Like, look what I got, bitch. You know? There's a lot of that. I like cars. I do, too. It's okay. I think about your song, When I Drive My Bronco. You got a, you got a really nice Bronco. <laughs> I, I unfortunately no longer have a Bronco. I, uh, you need a Bronco in your life, man. Yeah, but then I'd have a second car. It took me five years just to buy my first car. So, yeah, you're one of the minimalist type characters. Doesn't want to admit they're successful. I understand. No, I, I got no <laughs> problem admitting that. I just, you know, I look around. Like, I've always, I think it's from living out of a bag most of my adult life. Right. And then you start, you know, I, I had one guitar for the first two or three years I was on the road. And wow. then one day you wake up and you have five guitars now. Do you have a thing where and dudes are trying to make like, your guitars? I don't really need all these guitars. You right. know, I only need that one. Maybe two guitars is good. So, but I feel like guitar makers must want to get you a guitar. Right? Does that happen with musicians? Yeah, actually, uh, I got one Martin made for me, and that's that's kind of an honor. Obviously, that's, that's amazing. Like, well, yeah, old, really old, historic legacy company. Um, but then, yeah, your buddies build them and that kind of. Most I've always made my own out of parts. Really? Like, like at least. Telecasters and stuff, you can buy parts and assemble them uh, just as good as anything coming out of like what like a custom shop might be for a fraction of the cost. Wow, that I didn't know that was a and thing. Maybe even build an instrument that is, you know, more comfortable to play because you're building it to the exact specifics that maybe somebody doesn't mass manufacture. Well, I guess if you know guitars as well as you know them and you've been around them your whole life, that totally makes sense. Like what? It's wood and parts, right? Yeah, if tele you know a Telecaster is basically this table bolted to a baseball bat cut in half. You know what I mean? It's hard right. to fuck that up. So <laughs> the rest of it's just electronics, and, and the pickups have a lot. And anything outside of that's just your fingers and who's actually holding the thing. But like to build one is not that complicated. 
Wow. No, Les Paul or a, or a Martin acoustic guitar. That's a, that's literally like a hand shaped uh, piece of work that has to be made from start to finish. Whereas you know the guitars I'm talking about building, you're just assembling. There's like parts that are yeah widely accessible. I have a buddy that's a, a classical guitarist. That's an art. That's yeah. a whole other thing. He's yeah. uh, he always had his nails grow long when he'd do jujitsu. Dimitri, shout out to my friend Dimitri Dechenko. Uh, he had uh, to tape over his uh, fingernails, like when he did jujitsu, because he had claws. So he claw bitches' eyes he was, out. He had yeah. claw motherfuckers. I mean, right. he had he had ridiculous uh, long nails and powerful nails too, because he strummed with his nails. Like that's what he did. Like he did everything he did with his fingers. He's amazing at it. I mean, just freaky amazing. You'd watch him play, and you'd be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. You know, saw him play live a bunch of times, and. <clears throat> he would do like people would hire him to do like parties and shit, but it's like a it's an art form that For whatever reason I don't think it's the kind of respect that it deserves No flamenco classical. and classical guitar players. That's that's Amazing. highly complex musicianship Yeah, and mm. so he would always explain to really me like guitars the, like how they were constructed and it's amazing to me that There he is. That's Dimitri <clears throat> That dude was the heavyweight on the Taekwondo team that I was on when I was uh, like a lightweight. I was like 155 pounds and he was fighting heavyweight. That dude used to fuck people up. He's got those crazy Ukrainian jeans where he's just got he's giant chicken picking hammers. There. That's like... Oh, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Now, I don't know shit about guitar. I know it sounds awesome and I know that sounds awesome, but to you as a person who plays guitar, Oh, that's country guitar. That's like he's what we call chicken picking. What he's doing on that classical guitar is pretty cool. He could, he might as well be on Lower Broadway right now. He's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, he's right? a bad motherfucker, for sure. Yeah, and was a Massachusetts State Taekwondo heavyweight. He also champion. doesn't make silly faces. I like that. You know, he went on to compete after I stopped competing. He competed at a really high level nationally. Like fought in some national So when big he puts that guitar down, he's still a bad motherfucker. He's a yeah. bad. That's a legit <laughs> bad motherfucker. He's a big boy too. Like he's a natural two twenty. Like the big Ukrainian rock people. Mm -hmm. They're just thicker <laughs> people. people. They're rock people. They can pick rocks up and shit. But then on top of that, unbelievable guitarist. Crazy. How do you, how do you know him? We used to do Taekwondo together oh, when we were kids. When kids. Okay. We started out together. I was like. <sighs> I think he's a year younger than me. So I think I was like 15 or 16 when we met. And, and he was like 14. Was he, was he like eight yeah. hours a day sitting at home with his guitar? Oh, like all this fucking shit? discipline, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's discipline so much as... It, I think everybody that, that plays music and that really gets into it that heavily, there's like, there's like a, it's, a, it's an OCD. You have to have a level of spectrum or... To sit and just do the same thing over and over repetitively, eight, ten hours a day, especially as a kid, when you're really learning, you like when it gets you and you hook into it, it's like you just it's this other thing that nobody else can be a part of. You know what I mean? Mm, I get it. As an outsider, I get it. It's like you can do something, and once you start doing it, it must feel amazing to be doing it well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I played soccer and stuff when I was a kid, but it was always like I never was one of those guys that the team thing yeah it's always just like introverted and didn't and so when i found really found guitar and got into it it's like oh this is something i can it's not a competition it's not uh you know other than what you what you're pushing yourself to learn i guess 
Yeah, um, you do, you don't have to rely on other people's personalities or. Then, well, that's what bands are for, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I always thought about bands. Like that's got to be the hardest part, is everybody just being cool. Typically, that crazy artists. Well, yeah, especially. Um, I mean, it's really all about the hang more than anything. I'm uh, I'm down. I got me and three other guys in my band now because it, and it's like everybody's a great hang. That's awesome. And everybody gets along, and we're like actually friends. And you go out every night. And we're just like. You know, yeah, if you could pull that off, and it makes the road better. Like, when I go on the road, I bring like Ian Edwards or Tony Hinchcliffe or any of my other friends that, that can do it. If it's it's all like whether that they're free that weekend, that's usually how yeah, I you're it. gonna be around these people for weeks, man. Oh man, we have the best time. I don't do weeks, I do just do a couple of days at a time. I never go on the road for more than a Thursday, Friday, Saturday anymore. I Week, just stop weekend doing warrior, it. yeah, really. And I only do it twice a week. Is that because of the kids and just yep. being home? And, yep. Yeah, I, I like being home, and also uh, because Tra I can travel practice. makes you old. <laughs> well, it's just not good for you, yeah. it's just not good for you. Um, it's so it's all those things. It's I like being around my family. I like being at home. I like being around my friends And also, um, I just don't think it's a healthy thing. I think travel on occasion is okay But I think once you start getting into like every weekend flying I've heard of people doing that and I'm like you're beating your body up Yeah, there's no there's no if ands or buts about it. It well, it's 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 one of the the best things about Certainly, my job and, and your job, you get to go out and, and perform and entertain. But I've all, since since things sort of took off for me, I realized very early on I'm I get paid to travel. Yeah, the shows are free. Like that shit's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right, just right. we're out there doing what we love to do. But right. it's all the in between and the beat down your body takes and being out of any kind of routine and away from your family. That's that's the, really the thing that you come off for like four or five weeks straight of that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty healthy 39-year-old dude, and it takes me four or five days just to get off the fucking couch yeah. after a month-long run. And my wife, she finally started to understand, like, it's because you're the travel. Mm -hmm. the, you know, it, it, it's a different kind of exhaustion you can't really articulate, I think. There's the travel. There's the sleeping. Because usually you got to get – if you're doing every day, too, are you bussing it or are you flying? We're on buses mostly mm -hmm. uh, unless it's, like – the logistics is just crazy, but you, you know you still got to be there. So you might bust part of it, and then one night you're flying everybody, or or a red red hour the next morning, and do that thing, and then get back to the bus or meet up with the bus. What helps me is cardio. Like uh, when I, whenever I go to a place, if I just I don't want to, I feel like shit. I'm like oh fucking tired. Right. But if I could just force myself to get to the gym and just do like 45 minutes on an elliptical machine, just that 45 minutes out of the day, just that that's what I'm doing. Period. Nothing else. Put the headphones on, listen to a podcast, listen, to, and just get that get forty-five minutes of cardio, and then I'm good. Then I'm right. straight. Then everything levels out. But if I don't do that, if it's, I don't do that every couple of days at least, I just feel worn out. I, I think it's also an endorphin imbalance. Like my uh, my buddy Bobby that plays organ, but he works out like a madman. I mean, like it's kind of insane. You guys would get along. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of that is to balance out. You know, just energy because every night mm. you go out and do, we get two hours of cardio on, right. on stage and, and just massive adrenaline blast, especially when it really locks in and there's all this energy just slamming you in the face. And then you walk off stage and it takes like four or five hours to come down from that every night. Yeah. And then so, you, you know, and the, the next day now you're 
shit has to be off balance naturally, you know what I mean? Just like you just had this massive blast of all these chemicals that your brain's pumping out, endorphins, and now the next day you're just like waking up trying to figure out where to take a shit <laughs> and get a cup of coffee, <laughs> and is there a shower today? I mean, I yeah. Like, <laughs> and it gets weird when you do a bunch of them in a row, right? Like how often you wake up and stare at the ceiling not exactly remembering what town you're in. Um, not well. That never happens. I it always, never happens, you know, because I like I, I'm always staying a week or two. I, I guess the adventure, the journey, so to speak. But uh, I do wake up sometimes and just sort of. Well, honestly, it's it's bittersweet because the longer you're out, the more you're playing, and the better the music gets. So you know, by the last show, you, you, there's always this really like, man, you know, I'm exhausted. I really want to go home, but I can't believe this. We got to take a break now because everything just got super greasy you know right um it's different every night but you just the chemistry and everything and you lock in and you kind of get in that head yeah i could imagine that it's a comedy is very similar it's kind of very similar like when you're doing like a long stretch i only did it once <clears throat> with charlie murphy and uh, john heffron we did this little tour together it's the only time i've done like 30 days where i did like 22 dates where i was just constantly out i was only home for a day or two and then i was back out again mm -hmm. But you get groove. You get in that groove. You just get where you're just relaxed. Yeah. You've been doing it a lot. You, you feel it. You get on this non-existent clock. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a it's a a routine of no routine is how I describe it. Every day is the same but completely different. Um, but I, I don't mind it, man. Like a lot of times, it feels like I'm just back in the navy because we still sleep in bunks on the bus. Yeah, you know, we we'd go out to sea for like ninety days and shit, and that was that's probably way better for you psychologically when you go on stage than if you're staying in some giant suite when you're walking around the suite and no, they got grapes on a plate. I can't do the hotel rooms, man. <laughs> I get I get it. You know, when you started out, and you meet all, you start going on, you play like festivals or shows with your heroes, and they're on buses before you are, and you go on and you talk to these guys and. And they're like, you realize, like, they live in this thing. They're institutionalized in the back of this bus, and they never get off the bus. And you're like, I don't get it. And then it happens to you, and you realize that that's like this little safe space. Like a hotel room overnight for me, I'll go, I'll go crazy waiting for a show. You're, like, caged up in this little box, you know, with cable TV and nobody to talk to. And I got soured on buses when they pulled over Willie and arrested him for weed on his bus. That guy should have been demoted, man. Like, what, for really, sure. Like, for sure. You got Willie on a pot charge. Good for you, Sherlock. How dare you? <laughs> Whoever you are. There's things you just got to let slide. I was in Texas too, right? Yep. Texas doesn't play when it comes to weed, unfortunately. It's really silly. If it did, it would change Texas. It'd make it better. Like, could relax some of those fucking cowboys. Settle down. <laughs> and why are you saying it shouldn't be legal, stupid? That's crazy. The fact that that's still an argument in 2018... You know what they said? Here's a funny one. One of the most recent arguments that I read was that more pedestrians were walking out into traffic because of legal weed and dying. So, like, there's been uptick everywhere. I shouldn't laugh at that. That's rude. It could be me, right? <laughs> it could be me. Why am I laughing? It was almost me this morning. Yeah. I'm uh, an asshole. I'm sorry. I apologize. But I thought it was pretty funny, this idea that uh, there's an uptick in people just walking out into cars, getting hit by cars, because they're just spacing out because they're high i i think it should be legal just because i'm from kentucky and if they gave all those farmers and and uh you know ex-coal industry employees an industry that would really thrive since it grows extremely well in kentucky 
uh, you know, instead of soybeans and tobacco, those guys could actually generate an income. What do you think's holding for it back? Family and community politics. Actually, that's not true. Mitch McConnell, I think, or somebody, some like really staunch right wing guy in Kentucky came out and was even pushing for legislation towards at least the hemp industry, which would be incredible. Yeah, the hemp industry um, is a no brainer. The hemp you can industry look at the tax incredible. numbers alone. And yeah. They, well, you know, we buy hemp for on it, and for the longest time, we'd had to buy it in Canada. Because you couldn't get it in the United States because until recently it wasn't legal to grow. And so to get like the best stuff that is the highest protein content, we'd have to fucking ship it in from Canada. You can't even grow it here. Now you can. Um, but when, I mean, what did we start on it? That's not that long ago. I want to say like seven years ago, something like that. So we, that was like one of the first things that we did is uh, make a really good help, uh, hemp protein powder. And when we were looking into it, we were like, I can't even believe that you can't grow this. Doesn't do anything to your consciousness. Mm -hmm. Zero. It doesn't affect you at all because it's related to pot. It's illegal. The it's National Hemp Museum is in uh, Versailles, Kentucky. Is it really? Where I graduated high school. Because Woodford County, Kentucky was at one point the, the largest hemp producing county in the entire nation. Whoa. And just, I don't know, something about the limestone, the soil conditions, the humidity, sunlight. Oh, shit. Pot and hemp grows really, really well. Wow. The first legal 500-acre hemp farm in Kentucky unveiled. So now it's legal? In October. Oh, wow. So now they can grow it. Excellent. Beautiful. I don't live there anymore, so I'm out of touch. But, but hey. That's great news. That's fantastic news. That's amazing. Well, we were, we were you just talking about something that I was going to bring up. Oh, shit. I can't remember. It's something about, something about new... Mr. Nelson. Something new stuff that had to do with um, with legalization. Marijuana in Kentucky, we were just talking about. Yeah. That, but, eh. yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's just pretty crazy that you'd have a hemp museum and have it be illegal for so long with no argument. There's like, there's no science. It doesn't pollute anything. It doesn't do anything to the environment. The it nation was amazing. basically built on it. Yeah. Like everything was made out of that shit. Did you ever see the first Henry Ford Model T where he made the fenders out of hemp? And he's hitting him with a hammer. I did not know that. Dude, you got to watch this. We'll play this for you. It's the craziest shit ever. Henry Ford's very first car that he made, he made the fenders out of hemp. And you're watching him hit this fucking fender with a hammer, and the hammer is just bouncing off the fender. Check this out. And this is crazy. I mean, I don't know. When was this? What did it say, Jamie? What was the time it said there? It's 1941. 1941. So in 1941, before it was illegal, so it was, made in, it was made illegal right around the time where alcohol prohibition had ended, and they needed something to go after. So then they started using the same guys to go after weed. And this was pre that. Look at this. He's hitting this fucking thing with a, the back of an axe, and it's just bouncing off. It was also a great way to discriminate against Mexican immigrants. It was. And uh, black people, too. The whole name marijuana came from a Mexican slang for wild tobacco. Didn't have anything to do with marijuana. They just created this thing. Like, when they made it illegal, the, the people that were, they didn't even understand they were making hemp illegal. They had to all, they had to explain it to everybody. Then they were, they had like tax stamps that you had to. I, to bet, I bet DuPont understood that. Though. Oh, they, yeah. understood, they understood the fuck out of it. So did William Randolph Hearst. That guy was the craziest. The guy who Citizen Kane was uh, based on. Rosebud. That guy was the craziest. So here it is. This guy's hitting this hemp fender with a fucking hammer. Henry Rollins testing it. Henry Rollins, goddammit. <laughs> Look, you barely smudged the thing. 
I mean, they're so superior to metal. And it's easy. It's a renewable resource. Like, we're, we've fucked this up so bad. It's so obvious. It's one of the biggest examples. People say, why do you drone on about pot all the time? It's because these things like that are one of the biggest examples of just how egregious making it illegal is. It is a, the, it's one of the most amazing plants we've ever discovered. You can make your house out of it. You can fucking eat at it. it. You can get high with it. You can make your clothes with it. It has all the amino acids. You could use for heating oil. You could, what? You can treat cancer patients. You can treat cancer patients should, with it. It's here for, I mean, somebody put it here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Right? It helps reduce tumor size. It's crazy. Helps a host of different diseases. I know a lot of people that have like serious inflammation problems. They smoke some weed and they're all right. Just lightens everything up. And it's illegal. And you can grow it. You can grow your own. You could grow a shit ton of it in your backyard. Anybody could. Do you have a sprinkler? Okay. You got some good dirt? All right. You got some weed. That go. weed's just good to go. That's a fucking hardy-ass plant. Yeah, my grandmother, uh, she just had some, some, some health stuff. And it's like, you know, how do I... You know, she's pretty old school. But like right. knowing, knowing there's this thing out there that, that isn't anything that these doctors are going to offer her that's just going to make her feel awful... Yeah, and and uh, you know, or have to go through all of that. Something just give you comfort, and or ease nausea, or make you want to eat food, or those kind of things. Like, why wouldn't you want someone you love and care about to have that? But then at the same time, you know, you want to be the person trying to <laughs> feed pot to your grandmother. You yeah, know? it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah, it's just stunning how well propaganda from 1933 carried all the way the fuck to 2018. It's stunning. Is it? I mean... But it's almost 100 years. Yeah. With what we... Like, the amount of information that you can get on a subject now, like, say, if you're... The, the medical benefits of cannabis, just Google that. And you'll just start reading all the shit. Like, if it seems to me that enough people would go, wait, what, what are we doing? Like, why is it illegal? Nobody's died from it. Like, no one. More people die of aspirin every year. Because zero die from pot, so it's really the number zero. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to get high and walk into traffic. Some, some are gonna, but I think part of that is because we're not to te teaching people how to get high properly. Someone gets high for the how first many, time, you let them take. I wonder 10 how many hits. of those people that are getting hit by cars are actually looking at their phones. Could be a lot. They were high and looking at their phones. You don't see that here, like you do in, in Nashville. I drive around, and that's like I can't. I hate that. And you, like every, I'm just driving around town. Everybody's texting. Everybody's looking down. You can always spot them on the interstate. Yep, weaving. You know, but you don't see that in California. You guys, you guys have like really heavy laws. Saw about it today. It yeah. Saw Did it today. You? Some lady had drifted completely in my lane, and I looked over at her, and I saw the the back of her head. Like I was, I was on the her driver's side. I was on that side looking over at her, and all I saw was the back of her. Head. She literally wasn't looking at my car, and she was just looking at her phone and working her thumb, and occasionally like looking up at the screen. Or looking up at the windshield. It's like, whoa, you crazy lady. You think just because you're going 40 miles an hour, that's okay? Because you're on a side street? Like, you're not even looking where you're going. You're driving a car. What if you hit a kid? Jesus Christ. Fuck. What if you slam into some old lady? You know? What if you rear end a bike? You're not even looking. You didn't even notice the bike was there. Boom, you run over some guy's leg. What in the fuck, lady? Or dude? Maybe I was misgendering. I don't know. I don't know what her status is. 
you got to be real careful today, Sturgill. Man. Is it like that in Nashville? Is everybody like super I don't know, bro. I don't leave the house. <laughs> I really don't have any idea. I just sort of... I think that's a good move. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I like my kids. Um, I mean, I'm somewhat aware of everything going on. It, it's surprising that none of that's really hit the music business mm. as hard as it is. But um, uh, there's just... Yeah, I try to just do my thing. Yeah. It's a weird, weird world we're living in today. I would like, uh, I would like us to figure this out better. <laughs> I would like us to do just a little bit better job <clears throat> being nice to each other, getting our shit together. It's a weird, weird time. It's real weird. It's Everybody's strange, looking to argue. Strangest times on, in my lifetime, which isn't that long, but that I can recall. I don't ever remember things ever being like whatever this is. Mm. You know? Yeah. Not, and I don't mean that in any generalized middle of the road. Just because it looks like crazy shit with superpowers talking about nuclear bombs all the time every day now. And it's just like, how did we get back there? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. How do we get back to Putin telling us that he has some <clears throat> new nuclear missile that you yeah, can't Did you see that shit? The, like, yeah. 1500 meter tsunami wave of apocalyptic death that that thing could bomb out. It's, if, yeah. Why the fuck, man? And we don't have a defense system that can deal with it. So he's basically saying, I could kill you. I have a gun pointed at your head. I could kill you anytime. Welcome to 2018. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump's president. I did that, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's terrifying. It's, it's definitely cause for concern. And all this while pot's illegal. Pot's illegal, but it's legal to have a guy who is the host of The Apprentice run the nuclear armament. <laughs> hey. Or armory. You'd say armory, right? I, you know... I got in some trouble a few months ago because I, I did this. I had nothing to do one night, and I went down. And it was all the whole thing was just a protest, kind of based on like answering questions. And that's just like the promise I made. This buddy of mine had a he videotaped it, and he had a press pass, so they couldn't tell us to turn the camera off. And somebody asked me, "What do you think about Trump?" And I answered it. But uh, so. What they didn't ask, what do you think of all politicians? You know what I mean? Right. So, like, to me, like, nothing ever really changes. Like, right, left, this or that. It's all just sort of a different version of the people you never really see. We can't have an alpha chimp. Yeah. It's a stupid position. We shouldn't have it anymore. We shouldn't have had it a long time ago. We should have figured out a long time ago that you can't have one person run the whole show. It's insane. It doesn't work. It's crazy for them, too. It's not good for anybody. It's not, we, we, we can't pretend anymore that one person is special above other people. Like, royalty doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. We're all just people. It doesn't work. And you, you can't get voted into the number one person on the world. That's fucking ridiculous. Apparently, you can. You can. But you shouldn't be able to. It's, right. not, it's, it's too old. It's too antiquated. And there's mm -hmm. way better options. There's just way better options. You can't have all of us... Like, and you can't have, like, some arbitrary date. The presidential election should by. not be an episode of The Voice, is that no, what you're saying? exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it has, it's got a time. But everything's an episode buzzer. of The Voice now, man. That's, yeah. that's just how it works, you know? Or American Idol or something like that. Yeah, there's all, a buzzer. It's all a big contest. You, I mean, win, you there, win the trophy. When you, when you vote, there's a buzzer. The buzzer's over. You can't vote anymore, right? Right. The votes are in. That's, that's it. it. And the drum roll, please. I mean, it's showbiz. I don't know, man. It doesn't make any sense that you, I mean, 
I guess it does because then people could arbitrarily decide to remove a leader and put a leader back in and like you would just be able to vote and change your mind with the tide like constantly. But that's one more reason why we shouldn't have one person. It's stupid. Should have, first of all, we gotta, we gotta overhaul the way we teach kids. We gotta have more informed people. Then once you have more informed people, you let them in on what the fuck we should do. We all decide as a group. Like the way they do it now, right. the way they do it now is just, it's, it's bullshit, it's fake. Like you're pretending that you have a choice. You do have a choice. You have a choice between this guy or that guy, neither one you like. So pick it. But both of them are embedded in all the special interest groups and all the lobbyists. Always, yeah, it, was, it was supposed to be a republic. It was always supposed to be about the people. Yeah. And by the people, for the people. Now, I don't, yeah, it's... It's, it's been co-opted by money. It's real simple. Big pharma and <laughs> oil companies. I don't know. Well, the amount of people that are allowed to spend millions and millions of dollars to prop up politicians, it's like... Why would we let that happen? On, the only bo reason on both sides. On both sides. On both, on both sides. sides. Yeah. Why would we let that happen? That seems crazy. That seems like any other job where you were in a position of influence over someone else's job, you wouldn't be able to take money from that person to make sure that you did the right thing. That would be called bribery, right? I don't know. I mean, I it mean, is like bribery. They, they do it. Right, they do do it. But they get in big, like, here's one that they get in real big trouble for. Here's one that I think is interesting. They, um, Trump recently uh, did something about steel, about uh, bringing steel back to the United States and steel manufacturing back in the United States. But before he did it, one of his homies bought a shitload of stock in steel, like one of his, like, super rich dudes. And so then the question is, like, hey, should he have been allowed to do that? Isn't that insider trading? Right. And you're like, wait a minute. You can't just know shit? If I know shit, what am I supposed to do? I'm not supposed to buy stock? Like, well then, if you do know shit and you buy stock, is that fair? That doesn't seem fair. What's the answer there? The answer is the system sucks! You got a wacky ass fucking crazy system that all your money's based on, where people can just buy and say, sell parts of companies. Yeah, or all, like, or all. I think the Chinese pretty much bought all the steel companies, right? It's a while back, they were smart enough to say, oh, you don't want that, okay. Nobody's ever gonna go back though. Once you can make money off the stock market, fuck that. I'm making money off moving numbers around on my computer. Fuck you. I'm staying. Do you play it? No. It's just terrifying. Terrifying. No way. No. Get the fuck out of here with that. I've I've, I've gained and lost before. I I was a victim of a pump and dump scheme. I get, I get nervous at the Wheel of Fortune dollar slots, man. In Vegas, you know what I mean. Much less. You should. Those are dangerous. Like, okay. <clears throat> they lure you in. I'm down 19. I gotta get the fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> I was a victim of a pump and dump scheme. Um, this dude told me to buy this stock. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, the stock's about to blow up. The guy was a Coke dealer, so I knew he was honest. Trustworthy, easy to listen to. Right. <laughs> I didn't know he was a Coke dealer at the time. I just thought he was a comic. And so he would tell me about the stock, and we bought into it. I don't, I don't think I bought that much, but it was like a few thousand dollars, which is not that big of a deal if you're, uh, you know, you're looking at the greater spectrum of how much money people lose right. uh, in the stock market. That's a I lost nothing. I mean, people lose their whole their whole life savings, their fortune, their their what they've inherited. People can lose it like that in the stock market. So we bought in, me and my business manager, and it went up for a little while. It went up because more people were telling more people to buy it, and then it just crashed. And when I mean it crashed, it just went through the floor like it didn't exist anymore. It was like it went from 
I forget what the number was, but it was like in the many dollars down to like a fraction of a cent or a cent or three cent or something like that. It went down to virtually worthless. And we were like, oh, we got pump and dumped. Like that's what they right. do. They pump, they pump it up. They get a bunch of people to join. And then once a bunch of people are buying this stock, they're like, abandon ship. <laughs> and I got fucked. I remember Shooter going on about years ago all about the Bitcoin shit, man. He, yeah. He got, he got hung up on the Bitcoin for a minute. I wish I'd Shooter listened. loves it. I wish I'd listened. He loves that shit. He, he's um, he's a, a, a Bitcoin believer. Yeah. I'm a Bitcoin. Hmm. Hmm. This is me. Hmm. I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> that, and I probably never will, so I'm going to stay over here. Yeah, it's a good move. Yeah. I just, uh, every, uh, It feels like, a little, like a little pyramid schemey. Does it? I don't know. I mean, it's it's nervous. It makes us nervous. At it's this a point in my thing. life, I just assume everything is a pyramid scheme. It's always like a trickle of, you know. Yeah. If it could be proven to be as stable or more stable than money, I think we just go for it. That's what I think. I think why fuck around? Why why use all these old crazy rich banker dudes' money when you could just do nerd money? Just digital nerd money. <laughs> Wait, all it would take is people having to agree to it, right? That's, that's all it would take. If everybody just agreed to just use Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Or if everybody agreed to an implant that <gasps> had all your info on it and all your, your money. You don't know? you do that, Sturgeon. Just, cool. Walk into your movie, man. You know? That's coming. Yeah, someone's going to give you the benefits of it. If you just put this in your dick, well, first of all. It, they just it, haven't inserted it yet, but we all have one, you know? <laughs> yeah, they haven't turned it on yet. It's in your pocket, not your wrist. Yeah. Like, well, some people, it's on their wrist, too. I was I was texting one night with the guys in the band. I, this was what really scared the shit out of me. I, mean, I, got, I, I got off social media a while back completely again. I tried Twitter again. I probably told Jason Isabel I'd give it a second shot, but I realized my kids are way more interesting. Like I'm trying to, you know, I just rather be writing a song or doing something else. Right. And, uh, but one night, the, all we were all had a group text going on, and somebody said something, made a joke. Like uh, there's a lot of '80s film buffs in our band, and somebody made a, a Jean Claude Van Damme reference. And dude, like five minutes later, I'm not in any way exaggerating this. All my, my wife and I are sitting there watching TV, surfing Netflix, and instantly, it's like my entire channel was full of Jean-Claude Van Damme selections and I was just like what in the fuck is going on I've never watched a Jean-Claude Van Damme film ever on, on Netflix and now there's all this it's like somehow that got cross-marketed to my television set just because I'm on my telephone talking about this fucking guy freak me out man I was like no more I'm dumping everything dude I've heard That's people tell me weird, that they were having conversations on the phone with someone and then what they were talking about showed up in their Google ads on their on their laptop how's that work how, how does that work I have no idea are they listening constantly something Jamie is. says yes yeah Edward Snowden says yes but that but the fact that it shows up in your Google ads isn't that a little fucking obvious I mean that hasn't happened to me do you think that's real? 100%. 100%. Jamie's looking. He looks like he should have a Guy Fox mask on right now. Slip on one of them fucking anarchist masks. Look at him. Definitely. He's smiling over there. 100%. They're listening to us. God damn it. Gmail's free for a reason, you know. <gasps> Boom. What, so they can read it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're reading everything. Wow. It all makes sense that's now. That's intense. Now I'm freaking out, Jamie. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Fuck my head up, man. Here to help. Is that okay? You know, like, 
Who signed off on that? How many people have ever read those terms of agreement? I don't. Have you ever? The, the that, thing? That's what I think. You're, when you buy the Alexa, you're just yeah. like, yes. Those you're, people, you're buying yes. <clears throat> those people are crazy. Yeah, having those things in your house that you talk to and it listens to everything? Fuck all that. That just seems like too hackable. It's all weird, man. It's gonna, and by the way, this is just the, the first drops of water that's going through before our roof collapses. Because it's, it's, it's coming. Or, you know, all cars now, automobiles, it's all you know, electronic systems and GPS. Yeah. It, it, I'm not a techie guy, so excuse me if this is a really ignorant question, but like, what's to stop somebody from hacking into your car and crashing you into a fucking wall? Well, that was always the case against Michael, or, or the death of, against the death oh, of the Michael guy, Hastings. Yeah, they said the CIA. Yeah. The, yeah, I remember that. Well, they don't know if the CIA or who, or, you know, but he wrote a story for Rolling Stone. He was embedded in Iraq mm -hmm. or Afghanistan, I forget. And he wrote a story about this general. It was very unflattering. And what happened was he got stuck there with them, and he lived with these people for a long time, and they let their guard down. And, uh, you know, they said a bunch of shit they would say around each other. They made a movie about it, didn't they? I don't know. Did they? I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe. They might have. But this general uh, apparently got fired. He was one of the best generals that, you know, he was like very highly ranked and um, very, really respected by the troops. And people were really, really pissed at this guy. And um, he was starting to say that he was in danger, that his life was in danger. And I think he even said something about if, if, if for whatever reason, he commits suicide, that he didn't do it. Mm. And um, he was driving his car, and he drove straight into a tree at over 100 miles an hour. I think it was on sunset. His car exploded. Um, engine flew from the car like crazy, horrific shit. And then afterwards, they talked to these computer experts, and they said, well, is it possible to take a modern automobile with all sorts of... There's all sorts of devices inside modern cars right. that make them hit the brakes if you're getting too close to something or literally move out of a lane. Some of them have automatic pilot, so you could just fucking press the destination, and it just navigates there. I mean, that's saw what a, Tesla a lot of those does. in Pittsburgh. I was there some weeks back. Teslas and, uh, are crazy. They have the self-driving Ubers yeah. up there. And they're getting better and better and better at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I mean, they, where do you go? From? Right, well, next, think, thing, next thing you know, they'll be trying to shoot humans through pneumatic tubes or something, you know? But you think that people who kill people uh, literally for a profession... Right, professional soldiers, especially the ones that this guy I mean, embedded in combat. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that they would light that guy up for getting that general booted out. Right. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility at all. They would think that guy's the enemy. And they said that he had amphetamines in his system, and for a while I was like, oh, he had amphetamines. Maybe he's going crazy. Then I realized that. Almost all journalists are taking fucking Adderall. Right. They're all taking amphetamines. You'll find amphetamines and meth-like substances in all of them. Not all of them. Don't get mad if you're straight. You're like, dude, all I drink is coffee. Don't be a dick. But a lot of them. I have many friends that are writers or journalists. I can think of two journalists that are friends of mine that both take a lot of Adderall. They love that shit. Yeah. good buddy of mine who's a doctor was just telling me that when he was in college, and he was going through uh, all of his examinations, his friends started taking Adderall, and he recognized this giant jump in their performance. And he was like, what the fuck? He goes, they were smoking me in the grades, and I realized, oh, these guys are on PEDs. 
I never, I never did it. I've never tried it. Uh, Want to try it right now? Not you really. Together? No, I don't. I'm, I kind of like to be <laughs> down here. You know what I mean? I don't. I've never understood that. Uh, I guess it never appealed to my disposition. I don't think I would function. If you wanted to build a log cabin right now, right now, it might be the way to go. Right. Well, they said when Jack Kerouac rode on the road, he was. Uh, they were on a lot of benzedrine or like this yeah. like inhalant things they used to buy. Them. And he sat down and wrote the whole thing in like three days. Jesus Christ. Or maybe a day. I can't remember. The, I don't, you know, I'm not a beat aficionado, but I know that he was hopped out of his mind on speed and wrote the whole dang thing like in a scroll on a, on a roof in Mexico while Ginsburg was probably downstairs molesting a little kid or some shit. I don't Jesus. know. Jesus. That's a dark picture. Right. There used to be. Uh, what do you got there, Jamie? How a generation of beat writers burnt out on speed. Wow. There was a big pool scene um, in Everybody the 1970s. Everybody was on speed back then. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's pool players. That was the, uh, the thing with pool players back then, is that they would uh, take speed and gamble. When people first found out about speed, it must have been the most amazing thing ever. Before they realized like, how it could wreck you, I mean, think about it. There's no speed. And then all of a sudden, 10, 20 years later, everyone's on speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happened out of nowhere. There wasn't a bunch of speed burnouts that everybody could like look back on and go, oh, look at that guy over there, learn from him. Like, especially like Adderall, like there's no, there's no burnouts. So everybody's been, just been taking it for a few years. A few years. Like, yeah, how long has it been around? 20 years? As long maybe? As, as long as... Uh... How long do you think Adderall's been around, Jamie? Uh, yeah, probably after Ritalin, probably, right? So yeah, 15, 15 20 years max. 20 years? It was invented at the same time as gluten. (laughs) (laughs) Kerouac took so much amphetamine when he first discovered the inhaler high that he lost most of his hair and his legs swelled up with, what is that word, thrombophlebitis. Thrombophlebitis. Wow. That seems like he went overboard. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Saying he went went deep. You know, um, do you know who that uh, beardy man guy is? He does a uh, electronic music. He's like one of those. What do they call those EM artists? What do they call them? EDM. EDM. What, the, what do they music. call those? You know guys? those fellas. He's got a beard. Uh, but he, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons and I were going over Hunter S. Thompson's routine before he would uh, write, and he would just start off like early in the morning drinking. Oh, the whole coke. laundry list. Yeah. Leading yeah. up till start work at midnight. Yeah, yeah. at midnight. Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> is ready to write. I'm like, holy shit. And but him same thing right his body just gave out man his body was just falling apart by the time he's dying he just burnt that fucking thing to a crisp well they didn't know what we know now Damn. you know they were those guys were riding the lightning and they they never thought there'd be any yeah but i think with hunter it didn't matter whether or not he knew he would have done the exact same thing anyway like he he was of a mindset that he's like he's not here for a long time he's here for a good time right and that's what he did and there's, I mean, that's why people love that guy. It's one of the main, not just because of his brilliant writing, but because that motherfucker went for it. And then when it was all over, he said, yep, this ain't fun anymore. You take care. Put a gun to his head. And that's a wrap. Told everybody he was going to do it, too. Said, hey, I'm going to get to a point where I don't like this anymore. I got fake hips now. Right. I can't move. Yeah. Always in pain. That's a wrap. Take care. Boom. The second you can't walk up or down a few flights of stairs by yourself, that's yeah. kind of when it's over, you know. For a lot of people, yeah. A lot of people manage to still find some reason to keep going and enjoy themselves, and, and you know, and they're fine. But it's like, 
when you're a guy that's just still hitting it hard every day. He never got, he never sobered up. There was no sobering up with Hunter at Thompson. What, at what point though is that sad? Yeah. When, when is? It, I mean, there's obviously a, a pretty inherent level of self-medication going yeah. on to to get through the day, so you don't wake up and blow your brains out. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. That's, maybe it was just me. I don't know. Um, I think with a guy like him, his his path was probably pretty clearly carved from the time he was very young. He just mm. he what I mean the thing that's so interesting about him is that he was so genuinely thoughtful. Like you really did think about. Oh, he's shit. one of the greatest writers of, the t yeah. of our time. No question. I mean, and, a, and a Kentuckian, so yeah. He's there you go. Right. He's got to be all right. Yeah. No, Thought I, I, I read a lot of it, but I read it way too early because you know, when you're, I was one of those kids that got just at older cousins, you get exposed to all that shit. Yeah. And it was too soon, you know. Probably high school when I read uh, the, the the campaign trail thing, the Nixon book, mm, Shark Hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great one. His uh, his documentary, you ever see that Gonzo, The mm -hmm. Life and Times? Fucking amazing. Yeah. You want to just do something with your life after you watch that? <laughs> not not to, I don't know. I don't have any friends that like wave 44 Magnums around in their living room, though. It's you not know? good. You're right. 100%. He definitely had, I, mean, I he would go perfect. to that party. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'd go to that party, too, but you but might get shot. I wouldn't move in. No. 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 You go to the party. Johnny Depp moved in for like what six weeks. Uh, he or some moved shit? in, yeah. He, yeah, he, he lived went with all the, the way. They went. They he went sort of had out. to though. I wonder if he cooked Johnny Depp's brain. I wonder if that's when Johnny Depp started going wacky. Holy shit! It probably is. I'm going to spread a conspiracy theory. Johnny Depp was reasonable and calm and polite and had his shit completely together until he did too much acid with Hunter S. Thompson, and that's why he's wacky now. What do you think? I don't know. It's not outside the realm of possibility. He's from Kentucky, too, so I'm not going to say anything Damn, it's a full Kentucky house. Yep. Did we, you ever read the well, Kentucky Derby is decadent and depraved? Yeah, it was absolutely. Man. That was, uh, that, and, it's, and it still holds true. Oh, it's an amazing book. Or um, amazing uh, article, rather. Well, that, that was where he sort of really found the style. That piece in particular was where he yeah. was like, I'm going to go over here and do this. Yeah, there was definitely that. And then that fear and loathing in Las Vegas thing, too, where that started out. He was being paid to cover a motorcycle race. <laughs> it became this just fucking crazy screed about drugs and partying. And we were outside of Barstow when the drugs began to take hold. <laughs> and it's fucking bats in the air and shit. They're driving a convertible Cadillac across the country, headed to Vegas. I mean, it's a fucking amazing, amazing piece of work. And it started out as a Sports Illustrated story. They wanted him to cover a race. And also, and also a very, you know, fitting and beautiful eulogy to the whole 60s flower power shit yeah. that just caved on itself. Yeah. Like a... There's know, that one line, too. Bunch of fucking quitters, man. Well, <laughs> what do you think happened with them? I think they took away their pot. I think... They took uh, away the acid, and they arrested a bunch of people, they, and they, they threw definitely water clamped the down, thing. and then, you know, you have a few... Um, college student massacres and, and uh, you know... The, the sensationalization of the Manson murders probably didn't help. Right, um, sure. That became like a big narrative piece. Hippies, LSD, Manson, right. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, uh -huh. it was all, all tied in. Um, but, you know, the musically, since, you know, I should stick to talking about things I know about, which is music, I think that that was probably just the best shit that ever happened and ever will happen. Like that, 
65 to to 70 there was you know there's, <clears throat> it just sort of exploded in all different directions and a lot of things happened that maybe they couldn't happen now or even two decades ago they couldn't have happened as a musician what do you think was the catalyst like what made them go from the 50s sound to the 60s just experimentation and right. and mind whatever you know looking for different ways of life Right. Philosophically speaking, maybe I think what they were all writing about. But I mean, and then some guys were just pushing the, the sonic limitations of the studio. Like Hendrix didn't really do that much drugs. You know what I mean? The guy was all just really? about like, I mean, yeah, he partied, but he wasn't like a, a druggie. You know, he probably ate acid on stage a couple times. And both of those, I think he was spiked. Really? Yeah. And the dude, he's just a serious blues head and they wanted to stretch out and uh, really push what the limitations of the gear at that time in the studio, you know, well, I don't. I don't only want to have eight channels. What? What if we had sixteen? And some of the experimentation and things that guys like him and Pink Floyd and uh, later bands, you know, ALO, just really pushing the parameters of what you could do with a traditional style of music in terms of arrangement and how you frame that. I always assumed that because he got arrested in Toronto with heroin, that he did drugs. I feel like if you have heroin on you. You got drunk. Did he get busted? I thought it was barbiturates or... It's a good question. I'm pretty sure it was heroin. I don't think he ever liked it. No? I, I could be wrong, man. You might be right. You um, might be right. What does it Wikipedia say? says a small amount of heroin and hashish. Huh. huh. That's chasing the dragon. Yeah. See, so when I read that, I'm like, mm, how much do we know? about what Jimi Hendrix did during his day. Like, Nothing. people don't know how high I'm getting. I know you like... <laughs> how, do they, how, would they, how would they know? I mean, if they see us get high on the show, yeah. they know how high I got today. Right. But they don't even, because I could get high before I go running. I might get high when I'm sitting home to write. I have people tell me they, that I'm high when I'm not even high. Yeah, yeah. but you probably are a little. Still, you get No, I just have really sleepy, like, hound dog eyes. So <laughs> I, I always look high, even so, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, Jimmy... Jimmy liked, he was into some weird shit. It's kind of, uh, I know he had this thing about video, like filming women walking away from the hotel. Hmm. Like, so they found this big collection of like home movies of him hanging out off hotel room balconies. like As the, they walked away? The walk, as they walked away. Whoa. That was some kind of weird Interesting. fetish. What is that? He was not guilty on the charges. They well, don't know that. They might have been planted on them. Oh, so interesting. They're not sure if they're interesting. Is, is interesting. Yeah. It said he had no drug paraphernalia in his luggage or needle tracks on his arms. No, hmm. he smoked pot, but he didn't. Oh, like, they might have fucking framed him. The plot that, that dude, thickens. that dude was too creative and and prolific. Just in the the amount of time he was alive to have been a junkie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you gotta. But don't you, do you, you gotta think make he, a junkie get up and do shit? That's true. But they say that about potheads too. But I know a lot of pretty prolific potheads. I don't buy that. I don't either. Smoking pot gets me off the couch. Yeah, right. It makes you a little yeah, paranoid. Totally. Yeah, like I gotta get, <laughs> I gotta get some shit done. Just, well, you know, like I'm maybe not working hard enough. It makes me feel like that. Like I could be getting more shit done. Yeah, they said Lennon actually. You know, when he was on heroin for a while, but that motherfucker laid in bed with like 18 cats. Hmm. You know, and it didn't do anything. And then they said Paul would be like, "Oh, I've got some songs. We've got to make a record." And he'd be like, "God damn it! Wake up! I have to write five songs in a week." Oh really? Because he just they said he just lay around like, like, like a sloth, butt wow. naked, and tell all the all the maids to pretend like he wasn't there when he walked through the kitchen, butt naked, to get, a, get a glass of milk. <laughs> you couldn't do that anymore. They'd take your house. Yeah, the maids would be fired. You couldn't even make it like an arrangement. Well, you can make an arrangement the other way though. There's like a topless maid service. 
They come over your house and they take their top off. See, that just seems weird. It's definitely weird. I don't know. I would be like, yeah. Ah. Imagine the people that those poor ladies have to deal with on a daily. Fuck, man. Yeah, that ain't a good time. But um, you could have a topless maid service, but you couldn't have a you come over and wash the house while I'm naked deal. Because if it's your house and you're naked and they're walking around your house, then you're forcing them to look at you naked. Mm-hmm. Right? I would mm-hmm. think that that's Yeah, people are losing their careers legal. over there right now. Yeah, you you're can't really do that. not supposed to do that. Yeah, but in the old days, like a king who didn't give a fuck, he would just stroll around and let all, everyone look at his cock and walk right through the fucking building, wouldn't like, give a shit. Have your head copped, copped, chopped yeah. off if you didn't have sex with him. I yeah. would not want to live in those times. That I've been be... watching a lot of Vikings. I haven't seen it, man. I feel like four people tell me to watch that shit. I don't have time. I uh, didn't believe them. I didn't believe them. I'm like, there's no way. It's on regular TV. Is it that good? It's fucking good. Really? It's a good I'll show. You, it have out, to, you have to get through the first couple episodes. First couple episodes, you're a little like, what? Yeah. My what? buddy Ferg's all about it. He's like, man, you got to get on this Viking good, shit, man. man. Like, they have to set things up. That's the problem with shows. You're not. You're a little skeptical until you get to know everybody, and then you, you get the feeling of the characters, and then you get sucked in. That's why binge watching is so awesome. You know, like, Binge watching is great for if you're, especially if you're a touring musician. Oh yeah, uh, right. You know, I can never get into shows when they come out because I'll see a couple episodes and then we go on tour for two months, and you're like, "What the fuck happened?" But now I can come home and just, you know, watch a season of something in, in a day while I'm recuperating. Yeah. My wife's pretty. She knows what like good sh- the good shows, the programs and shit. Like I don't, I wouldn't know what to watch, but I found a lot of things. Just, Have you seen Stranger Things? I saw the first season, or no, I did see, yeah, we saw those. What about Ozark? Saw that. Fuck I like, yeah. I like Bateman. That's a good one. I like that sardonic shit. There's a new one coming out with uh, Jared Leto. About the Yakuza? Or is it a movie? It's a movie. It's a movie on Netflix. Yeah, he joins the Yakuza, most handsomest, white-looking Yakuza guy ever. Perfect features. Right. Because that happens all the time. It's happening in this movie, bro. How about yeah. spend a little disbelief for Jared They're Leto? They're just walking around Shinjuku looking for white dudes <laughs> to fucking run shop, you know. Do you like, think he's learned how to speak Japanese? I hope so. It's going to be pretty weird man. if he doesn't. It's beautiful. He's Bad prettier man. than most women. Oh, he's prettier than a lot of women, man. If you put him in like a long-haired wig type situation, it's beautiful. There he goes. We going to look at pictures of Jared Is he Leto supposed now? to be half Japanese? <laughs> I think he's is that supposed the to be premise a, of the oh, show. Oh, I better not be. Because he's got so. his hair. They dyed. can't do that anymore. That shit is cultural appropriation. You're right. not allowed to anymore. But if how he, else is a white dude going to get in the yakuza? He's got to be. He's got to be like a catch there. I you think know? he was a soldier mm. that was friends with a guy, and okay. he stayed over there to help him. Or something. Gotcha. Like if you have a movie today and you have a Chinese character in a movie, but you have a Japanese guy play the Chinese character, you're fucked, mm-hmm. right? People will get angry. You can't do it anymore. No more pretending you're someone else. Like, can you, like, if Unless you Unless you're Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he could get away with it, but not anymore. He got away with it in that one movie. But, like, if you were an Asian guy, though, I firmly believe no one would have a problem if they took an Asian guy and gave him some sort of facial prosthetics that turned him into a European-looking guy and then gave him lead roles... In a movie where he plays a European guy, people would have to shut the fuck up. They would be, they would want to say something, but then they'd go. It's amazing how far <laughs> uh, we we watch a lot of movies on on the bus sometimes. And I, I watch if I'm at home and my and I'm by myself, like I watch weird shit. I like old films and uh, 
a lot of old westerns and stuff. You know, I watch the same movies I've I've seen a hundred times over and over as opposed to watching a lot of the newer shit. Um, but if you watch a lot of these old westerns from the fifties, and it's like it's all white dudes painted up like Native American Indians, yeah, with the headdresses, and it just looks so <laughs> cheesy. And they have these these affected horrible accents and you're just like how the fuck did that ever happen but then you get to the 80s and you watch something like 48 hours now and it's the most sexist racist misogynistic shit like and they were just pumping those things out of studios yeah two three decades ago you know with any female characters in those films like you're either hooker one or secretary at precinct who everybody dismisses you know what i mean like those were the only roles yeah, that just happened. That's when we were kids. Yeah, when we were kids. Yeah. We were on, on that movie I just called out specifically. We watched it on the bus one night. We were all like, this would never <laughs> fucking get made never now, get man. Made. There's no way. So much would never get made. It's weird. I mean, is that is that cultural evolution? I think so. I, th I mean, I hope so. I There's mean, a little bit of it, but it's happening at such I a rapid rate. I hope it's all not just like catchphrases and shit. I hope it's actually doing something i have weird ideas about this i um i really feel like if we weren't completely embedded in it that we would look at this as like a system that's pulling us into its web and and forcing us to be more and more entangled and this system is the the system of electronics it's like almost like it's it's preparing for us to give birth to artificial life. And so in the, the meantime, it's completely sucking us in and making us be completely embedded. Phones in your pocket, constant Alexa listening to everything you do. It's all just as deep as it can in the biological systems world until it gives birth. And we're gonna force it out of exist, force it into existence just by being completely fascinated with electronics. Are we? I mean, is, yeah. is it the universe forcing it into existence? That too. I think it's a natural thing. Yeah. Well, I've what, always described it as like a. It's figured out a way to to interconnect itself even more, yeah. man. Yeah, it has with data. Yeah, and force progress. Like, think about what they were saying about Putin. Like, if Putin really does have but that kind of missile. sooner or later, it's fucking Skynet, man. You know? It, sure, it is. And then, it sure is. Yeah. There you go. But if someone has that kind of power, right, if there really is something that a person can think up that didn't exist 200 years ago. 200 years ago, there wasn't even the thought of it. So in 200 years, two small amounts of measurement of time in relationship to the entire age of the universe, they could figure out a way to kill every person on the planet. Like that. Literally wreck the planet where no life would be. It wouldn't be possible to have life. There's enough nuclear bombs to do that. What is it going to be like in two, 200 years from now? It's going to be way, 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 way more accelerated. It's almost going to get to the point where the universe is going to be a, like a place where you could visit. Like People can go places. If is not people, things can go places. As long as I'm holding a lightsaber... Before I die. Oh, you'll get one of those. It's all fucking worth it. But the care. problem with the lightsaber is I was always like, well, why does it end there? Why doesn't it just go on for infinity like a laser? Oh, yeah, right? Why yeah. is it only three and a half feet long? Yeah. What's oh. it doing? Unless it was a rod <laughs> and then the, the laser went around the rod, but it knew to stop at the top. That would make sense. But the fact that the laser only extends three feet or whatever it does, the fuck out of here. George Lucas was a big Kurosawa fan. Was he? Yeah. All oh, that shit's wow. based on samurai films. Oh, that's right. And Leone films and all those guys just like it's like generations of dudes 
paying homage and ripping each other off that lead to the new thing. It's the same with music. Wow. Well, Quentin Tarantino's always been pretty open about that, right? He makes unapologetic, like, cinematic homages right down to frame and shots and scores. Like, he's a, yeah. Does it masterfully, though? Like, isn't it, what are you doing when you're remaking King Kong? Making money. Yeah, you're making money. You're making a lot of money. But if you do it right, you're, you're, you're making art. I don't think anybody's done King Kong right. Nobody's done King Kong you, right. You might not be able to do King Kong course. right. Maybe it's a bad example. But the Hulk. The I CGI the shit Hulk just right. kind of, for me, man, it really took the magic out of everything. That with HD, because you watch Harry and the Hendersons with your kids now or something, and that looks better than yeah. lo a lot of the stuff coming out. It's just, I don't know. The suspension of disbelief isn't there. The HD TV just fucking ruined movies for me. Cause I'm like, eh, that's right. Get fake the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's fake as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, give me some VHS, you know. It's better. Blur the lines a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like digital music, same thing. You hear all that separation and air and uh, sterilization, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. I think it definitely works that way for physical things. Like, it's one of the reasons why the original Alien movie was so terrifying. It was a physical oh, thing. Oh, fucking. That was a, you knew. Or the first Halloween. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no yeah. blood in that film. It's just tension and yeah. dread and real anxiety. People. Real people. Yeah. And some crazy fuck running yeah. around in a William Shatner mask. Even in America, Werewolf in London. John it was just Carpenter, quick scenes. Also from Kentucky. Was he really? Yep. Damn, Kentucky. And Muhammad Ali. Yeah, we don't fuck Louisville. Around. Yeah. Muhammad Abraham Ali? Lincoln, Daniel Boone. Damn. Uh Harry St Harry Dean Stanton. What well, imagine the Daniel sad. Boone days. Imagine being Brother, I I don't have to imagine where I live now is like <laughs> Daniel Boone days. I walk out, and it's like, yep. There's uh, they found this some there's some caves down. We we moved to the Smokies where they just give land away down there. Really? And uh, yeah, I have like fucking my own woods now for less than what a townhouse in Nashville would cost. And uh, but they the, the people who bought it from they found a cave on the back back of the property down can we kind of back up to this national forest and um there's a bunch of like three thousand year old indian cave paintings in there like native american cave paintings so the university Whoa. of chicago came down and studied it all so now i'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how to keep my fucking kids from going in there and doing something you know right and dick was here right, and, yeah we're drawing like big <laughs> cock and balls on the, on the indians you know but cave, here's the thing that cock and balls Americans. would be revered by people who found it two thousand years from now it, right. Why do we say? Yeah. I mean, if you went to a cave uh, 2,000 years from now and they uncovered some cave and it was a bunch of advanced dudes life just comes drawing just guys jerking off, yeah. people would be excited. They'd be They're like, like well, amazing. this was 3,000 years later. What happened? You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you look at like some of the ancient artwork, right? Like, how about some of the Roman statues where dudes are grabbing each other's dicks and wrestling? Do you ever really? see that? I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. yeah they, they were wrestling and in the process of wrestling, one dude's grabbing the other guy's junk, which they did do. They'd crush your balls and shit. That was a move back then. <laughs> and so... Well, let's be honest. Like, in a real fight... If, yeah, it's I a mean, move. That's a move. It is a move. It's a way to go. It's definitely you the way to go. crush a man's taters or take away his ability to breathe, the fight's pretty much over. There was actually an MMA fight where that took place back when there was no rules. There was a guy named The Pedro, and he was fighting a guy named Big Daddy Goodrich. And Big Daddy reached into his pants and Sounds grabbed like a hold of his man. cock and balls and crushed it in his hand. See this guy? It's <clears throat> just grabbing dicks, man. The guy on the bottom is grabbing dick. He's holding that guy's hog. It's rude, but that's how they wrestled back then. They didn't give a fuck. 
the, the, the dick was something you could also hold on to. You could hold on to the foot. Why, not, why can't you hold on to the dick? So they were yanking on dicks and pulling people along. Boy, they really turned it up back then, didn't they? They had to. How they long really were they living? Did. You know? I mean, you, if you were one of these bad motherfucker wrestler dudes, how much time did you have to be that guy? You go grab some that. dick, roll around in the dirt, and then I'm going to eat some grapes that guy's and got have a, a heart giant on orgy too. and watch a lion eat my friend later on today. That's, that's a day. Look at the apple on the end of that guy's dick. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> the Christ. Fuck, man. Look at the size of his hog. If that was real, he was hard. This is sex, then. Is This is not fight for the death. That guy's getting off on that. Or if he doesn't, if, if he's not getting hard, and that's just how big his dick is when it's soft. This is not at all where I thought we would, we I didn't would think end so up today either. on my way over here. But it has like, to be said. Last time I think we talked about Bigfoot. Yeah, I have no new opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a Bigfoot story. Uh, really? No, I think I already told it. I made it. I think, did I? Well, I was going out. When I used to live out west a long time ago, my buddy of mine were driving up to this little town called Leavenworth, Washington, to go check out. There's like this weird little Aspen Swedish ski town in fucking northern Washington where you go get your potato soup. That's another story, though. And uh, we stopped at one of these roadside coffee stands, which are every 300 feet in Washington State. But this one was on like this sort of timber road going up through the forest. And you pull over. Speaking of Harry and the Hendersons, wow, it's all serendipitous. But uh, we get out of the car, and the wooden statue from the from the beginning of that movie is like in the driveway. Wow, it was this old Sasquatch statue, and I just, that's where I remembered it from. I was like, that looks just like this thing from right Barry. there. Yep, and uh, no, that's not not that's, the not same. It. that's badass though. Is there a lot of Bigfoot sightings out there? Well, funny you should mention that. Uh, we <clears throat> we're stopping, and we're getting coffee from this lady. And I'm like, you know, whatever, trying to talk about the statue from the movie. She's like, yeah, they stopped and filmed here. And then she pulls out these, she had these old photo books, like family photo albums, like huge photo albums, two or three of them at least, full of Polaroids of Sasquatch that, that her family had taken in this house, supposedly. It's the greatest idea to sell coffee ever. Polaroids. But, like photographs, like fucking old of a real Sasquatch. Of photos of Sasquatch. How bad well, they look. That's what she really wanted us to think. Right. But yeah. Um, there were just so many of them. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, God, she really went to some trouble here, man. Because like, there was, like, giant photo albums of Sasquatch. And they were all Sasquatch photos. They'd taken off their back porch or out the windows of the house. and Because the, they lived, like, right off the side of the road. And it was just fucking wilderness, you know. And that's my Sasquatch story. Was there any of them that made you go, hmm? Not a damn one. I, was, <laughs> I, I don't believe in Bigfoot. so It definitely used to be a real thing. I th- that's what I think. You think at one time it definitely existed it, it, it and they're all existed. gone now? There's an animal called the Gigantopithecus. Right. You know about that yep. one, right? That was a real thing. So that was basically a Bigfoot. It was an eight-foot-tall, gigantic, bipedal ape. So they know that that was real. So if that was real... It's entirely possible that one of them made it across the Bering land mass with human beings. Sure. Entirely possible. Because they were from Asia, and they were from Asia right around... A yeti. Yeah, Yeti. Yeah, uh, Yeti, um, Neanderthal, I mean, um, mm-hmm. uh, Sasquatch. You could, there's like a bunch of different names for them. But it was a real animal that lived... I think they found bones that were as recent as 100,000 years. So anatomically modern humans definitely lived 
in the presence so of what this do you thing. attribute all the sightings to in the last bullshit five or, yeah, it's hurt bullshit. bears hurt bears right bears hurt their paw they walk they on walk up hind there. feet they do it all the time um i think most of it's bullshit the reason why i say that is because there's no real compelling evidence other than like a couple of footprints that you think someone could have you actually had a you didn't you like you had a show for a while you wanted yeah. to talk to all these crazy folks oh, yeah, right yeah yeah, yeah. 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 were you ever at any time like this guy might have saw something one lady i think saw something i don't think she was lying but I think she probably saw a wounded bear, and she saw it very briefly. And the problem, the real problem with people's memory, especially in some situation that freaks you out, like you think you might have saw a Sasquatch, right. your brain starts fucking with you. And it starts filling in the blanks with a bunch of shit, and then you start repeating that shit as if it's the There's actual. There's a name for that, something. Yeah, some, I, don't, some, I don't know what it is. Syndrome, but I would imagine if you're, if you, you've, I'm sure you've been, you, you lived in Seattle for a while, right? For a little while. So you know what it's like when you go up into those mountains. It's like so thick. It's beautiful. Unbelievable. I mean, if I was going to go fuck off and get lost somewhere, Ooh. that would be. Dude. That's, that's, from, that's some real wilderness, man. Mount Rainier, right? Yeah. God, it's gorgeous. Um, but the wilderness is so dense. I always describe it as like trying to look through a box of Q-tips. It's like a Petri dish. Yeah. They just, it's in the, the ground is so soft and smushy from all the pine needles. <clears throat> so my point is, this lady saw something in the distance. She saw elk running, right? And then she saw something standing up. And she looked at its face and she realized it was an ape. She's like, oh my God. I see an ape. How is there an ape? And then she, she said to herself, oh, it's Bigfoot. That's Bigfoot. And then it went over through this patch of timber because everything's super, super dense. Mm -hmm. You know, 10, 20 yards further and you can't see it anymore. She lost it completely. But it makes sense that a bear was chasing elk. That's what they do. They do it all the time. They're probably chasing elk. There's probably a fawn. They're probably trying to get it. And the they, bear might have been hurt. They know how good that shit tastes. Yeah. That's what it is. And the bear might have been hurt. <laughs> In which case, which happens all the time, and when bears are hurt, they walk on two legs. So if you're looking at this thing, bears can grow nine feet long. Right. That's real. Black bears can be nine feet long, a really big black bear. So if you're looking at this thing in the Pacific, it's probably rare, but they could be seven feet all day. You could find a bunch of seven-foot black bears. Those are, those are legitimate. So this black bear is walking around seven feet tall, standing up on its hind legs, and you're seeing it through the trees 30 yards away. You're like, oh, my God, I see Bigfoot. So in her head, I don't think she was lying. I think she definitely she really saw a big-ass animal. Saw, she yeah. saw elk running, and she saw, she saw a big-ass animal in pursuit. But it easily could have been a bear. And she could have filled in the blanks in her mind with all these false memories. Right. That are attributing like, oh, I saw its face. It looked at me. It <laughs> made a noise. and so, All that stuff. Like, people get wacky. Like, you think you saw something, and you didn't. There's no bodies. That's the problem. There's nothing. Like, no, right. one's, no one's found yeah. shit. No one's found anything. Well, not a single fucking bone. I mean, they found this gigantopithecus bone in an apothecary shop in China. Then they did a dig. They went back to the spot. These anthropologists said, where the fuck did you get this? They had this giant primate tooth that wasn't a gorilla. It wasn't a human being. They're like, where'd you get this? And they take them to the spot where they got it, and they find bones. They find jaw bones that indicate that it was bipedal. Mm -hmm. It's kind of controversial, apparently. But apparently, by the way the jaw's designed, they knew that this thing stood upright. And it's huge. I don't know. I met some dudes from Stornoway, Scotland once, which they looked like they were from another planet. They were like the biggest Vikings. fucking people I've ever seen in my life. There's four or five of these guys at this little music festival in Kilkenny, Ireland, and they'd all come down for the festival. And these, I mean, I'm not shitting, man. They were the biggest people I've ever seen. <laughs> 
And they were like, all of them, they were just like fucking mountain mountain men. Just blocked out the light when they walked through the door and had these like long gray hair and beards and shit. And they're like, Jesus. you should come up and play in Stornoway. Fuck that. It only, takes, it only takes eight fucking fairies to get there, you know? It's just like, <clears throat> I would actually love to go up. But. I think of those dudes whenever I think of those Atlas Stones. Do you know what Atlas Stones yeah, are? Like yeah. the most manly way to yeah. work out ever. <laughs> You're basically picking up these enormous balls of stone, and these dudes lift them, and they get them on their chest, and they hoist them onto these blocks. They have contests to see who can, like when they do the strongman contest, they pick those Atlas Stones up and put them on progressively higher and higher shelves. Giant. Giant people. Stone yeah. balls. Giant stone balls. <clears throat> those people, I mean, those are the ancestors of the Vikings for sure, right? right. 100%. Oh, for sure. That's where the Vikings turned around, I think. Yeah. yeah. If I'm not mistaken. They, they got there and they were like, everybody. fuck this. They shot loads into yeah. everybody. It got winter time and then they bailed. Let's fuck this place. It's always raining. Let's get out of here. They took off. Too depressing. I got I got some really good buddies <laughs> now uh, in Glasgow. Um, all musicians you meet over the years touring and a couple guys particularly that um, – if I go over, sometimes I'll do a little pickup band with my with these guys, and they're they're both like hard glass Weegans. And, and my friend Lloyd, one time, last time I was over there, he took me up on a proper like car trip up to up to the Highlands and back down. And one day, I think we got as far as like Oban or anyway. But yeah, there's there's parts of that stuff. It's it, it just it looks like you're on another planet, man. I can't mm. even describe it. it. Look, I remember we got out of the car in a couple of places, and you try to wrap your head around how ancient that shit is and everything that took place there and 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 how you know how one we're just standing outside a car on the side of the road and i'm like i am fucking freezing to death <laughs> you know in the middle of august it's just raining literally upside down and it's not even raining you're just like this it's some harsh brutal shit always cold always, always wet. cold always wet even when it's not somehow i don't understand it would be like sunny and a mile and a half later there's like a blizzard and it was just like fucking mental man but it looked like another planet i was only i felt like this could have been a, a setting out of star wars or something yeah if you think about it when you think about scottish people you always think of hardy right oh yeah hardy tough people that's hardy. like inst instantly comes to mind Very, well you know that another weird thing about it is you always appear americans especially like where, where you're from your ancestry and this and that and I was I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and then moved to Central Kentucky, but like most of the the early settlers in the Appalachian region was like predominantly Scotch Irish and some German. So the first time I went to Scotland uh, to play music, I had jet lag, and the first morning I woke up like really early, you know, and I was like, "Fuck, well, I might as well go walk around and check things out and get out of the city, and everything's kind of coming to life, and people are going to work, and I'm looking around at the faces, man." And it hit, I realized, I was like, yep, this, I might as well be in Hazard, Kentucky right now. It's the same stoic, very guarded, you know, uh, disposition. But then, like, once you get to know them, and especially once you become friends, they're just like they would do anything for you. But mm. it's a very regal, stoic, working-class <clears throat> city. There's something really special and magic about Glasgow. Damn. But it just kind of hit me, like, this is definitely where my fucking people came from. <laughs> you know, like, that might as well be my Uncle Bobby right there. Uh, Damn. The people that live there today, man, like, they get to go by castles and shit. There's castles near there. You drive by every a castle. Day. 
And how old are those castles? Like, what's the oldest Ancient, castle in Scotland? Uh, I'm not sure what the oldest one. I mean, there's like it was an old one, a thousand years tw- old. One, I think the one in Edinburgh is probably 1,200 years old. Um, wow. Guy invented penicillin. Imagine. From, anyway, just, imagine going yeah, 12, back 12, and looking 14, at 1,600 years. We played a, a. There was somewhere in Ireland, this little town, and across the street from the hotel was this guard tower that had been there for 1300 fucking years and there's like viking boats they had on display around i'm just thinking yeah somebody a thousand years ago was up in that window with a bow and arrow like you know that's all they had that's all they had shooting arrows down it invading people and it gives you perspective though when you especially Europe, in terms of old world, isn't that old when you think about China or a lot of Southeast Asian cultures. You know, you're talking about 10,000, 15,000. Yeah. But, like, Europe is a good example for me. Every time I go, it gives me perspective because you think about everything happening in our country. And everybody's like, oh, it's, it's fucking going to hell. And, you know, we're such a baby. Yeah. You know, there's, there's churches over there that are five times older than the United States. And it's still working somehow yeah the oldest shit we have is like when i was living in boston there was a cemetery that you can go to where you could see tombstones from like the 1700s and you could barely read it you could Mm -hmm. barely they were all weathered and worn out because it's like tap that shit with yeah in the 1700s and you could just go over and touch it it's right there but people touch it too much because it's got uh the numbers are all fucking worn off and shit look at that one right there which this one it's from that's like Cathedral built in 1471. It's the oldest building in Glasgow, I think. 1471. The coolest gig I ever played was in London at, it's called St. Pancras. It's this old church building, um, which I think, you know, monks at one time, it was, they built it acoustically and designed it out of stone for choirs, like chamber choirs. And uh, they didn't even have a PA. It was just me and an acoustic guitar. I remember sitting there thinking like, it was the, the most insanely beautiful natural reverb I'd ever heard in my life. And wow. it's a really, uh, it's, in, it's like right around King's Cross, you know, kind of a busy intersection. But I think. Is that it right there? St. <coughs> Pancras? No, that's the, uh, the okay. train station. Uh, the, oh, look at St. Pancras Old Church. It was really special, though. I remember walking in for sound check, and I was like, I don't give a fuck if anybody comes tonight. I just get to sit wow. here and play my guitar in this room. Yeah. This is it right here? That's it. Yeah, it's wow. like a little pewed building. And so in, so the way they uh, built the whole place, it reverberates, all the rounded edges and everything? Actually, that's the side hall. And then there was a... That's that. See the one third from the right? The darker one? Yeah, the dark. That's it. Whoa. Wow, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, it was really special. So if somebody wanted to look at this, Jamie, what is the, the image if uh, someone's listening to this? St. Pancras, old Saint town. Pancras. P-A-N-C-R-A-S. Pancras. Yeah, P-A-N-C-R-A-S. Yeah, How yeah. beautiful is that construction? It's the oldest standing house of worship. I, might, I don't want to hope I'm not misquoting this, but I think it's like the oldest church in the United Kingdom. <sighs> and it's in, in the center of London. Wow, so they designed it so that people could play acoustically. It was, and the made, sound just it was built to sing in. Like wow. you just be like, does the thing that the old keyboard effects just have built in? Just puts that like, wow, that bloom on everything. When I was a kid, uh, I lived down the street from this place called Echo Bridge. And Echo Bridge is this, uh, it's uh, near, it's in Newton Upper Falls. And it's this place where we'd all go hang out and drink. But if you get underneath the bridge, it gave you this crazy echo. Just cr- like ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Hello, hello. 
And uh, that's shit geeks like me walk around constantly listening for. Yeah, every kid in my high school thought he was Billy Squire when he'd go down there. Yeah, like, you know, dude, lonely dude. is the night <laughs> when you find yourself alone. You'd be screaming it like a fucking dork. Remember, we knew how to do the Van Halen thing on a notebook, <laughs> the VH <laughs> the logo. <laughs> that's my first concert. Yeah, man, that freaked me out. Van Halen, they were amazing. I had a buddy, I used to work at this grocery store in Nashville when I was out kicking it around, and uh, this guy was, he's really cool, he's older, he's in his 50s, and he was local, grew up in Nashville, and he was like a big music guy, you know, and uh, so he saw like every show that ever came through town in the 70s and 80s, we kind of grew up in that, and he was, he'd always like tell me about the shows, you know, because he, he saw Van Halen at the a little coliseum in nashville like down on the north side of town back in i think he said 77 so it was before the first album had come out and they were opening for black sabbath and you know but this time deep purple and all these like riff rock bands were just sort of the thing wow and he said these guys come out and he said it was like a bomb exploded in that fucking place man like eddie's like doing backflips off his amp and all that crazy shit nobody ever heard that stuff you know wow and he said then sabbath came out and everybody basically walked out after the third song because like they realized they had just seen what was next. Wow. You know. Man. I saw Kiss when I was like 10. 10 or 11 years old. I saw him live. Were you into him or so did you just totally somebody, into yeah, them. You, it wasn't, Yeah, okay. I was really into him and my uncle worked for their uh advertising company okay. that designed their uh the album covers. Howard Marks Advertising Company. They're the ones that did. Well, he's a genius. <laughs> Howard Marks. <laughs> the marketing. Yeah. yeah whoever was handling the marketing on that yeah. shit. Yeah. Well, it was uh, my Uncle Vinny and his friend Dennis were the artists. They would make the album covers. That's crazy. Yeah. So I got to meet Ace Freely without his makeup. I was like 11. Ace Freely is actually the first guy who ever did the harmonic tapping on tape. Really? That Eddie later got all the acclaim. He took it and ran with it. But I think the first time that was ever recorded was on a Kiss song. Somebody Dude. using that technique. He was fucking phenomenal, man. When Apparently he, when, a really nice guy, too, right? Ace? I don't know. Cool? I never met him. Oh. I, I know that he didn't get along with some of the other guys, like mm -hmm. Gene Simmons and Because they're all Paul fucking Stanley. pricks. I think the Ace, I think, <laughs> is supposed to be like the sweetheart, the guy that's like. <sighs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Paul Stanley was nice. He was a nice guy. Gene Simmons has been nice to me. Right. You know, obviously everybody knows. It's part of their thing, man. I get it. Yeah. So. I mean, they were just, they were rock stars. They've been rock stars for so long. I mean, think about that. They were rock stars in the 70s. They were They're rock stars when, when it meant something Yeah, it's else. different. It's a different thing. I'm not sure what it, if it even is necessary. Do we really need, like, whatever that is? Of rock stars? Anymore? Yeah. Here's the problem. We know too much about them. All the mystery's gone. Exactly. You know, it used to be like Robert Plant would come down on fucking magic carpet. We didn't know where he was coming from. <laughs> you know, he would he show probably up at the time thought he was on one. You know, those and guys just think about fun. Robert Plant in his prime, right? Who the fuck ever saw anything like that before? They were taking Elvis off the Ed Sullivan show because he was shaking his hips. Robert Plant has got a piece on him, and it's pressed up against his pants. His pants are as tight as a glove. He's got no shirt. His, like, his shirt is completely open, right? His completely bare-chested, long hair, and a voice that you never heard before. You never heard someone sing, like, Hold Out of Love. I mean, it's just, 
he's doing something different. He's got some new thing going on, and you don't know shit about him. There's no fucking podcast that he does. He doesn't no. have a Twitter page where he says stupid shit about Trump. You know, it's yeah. They, they they actually did. They never did any interviews or, or any. They didn't release singles. Yeah, actually, a lot of people didn't know. You hear all these classic songs on the radio now, but they never put singles. They refused to do singles. They didn't do press. Dude, there he if is. you wanted to see Led Zeppelin, you had to go to the show. Yeah, look at his cock. Look, <laughs> look at it. Look at his cock. He and wants that's you pressed to. up against his pants. Yeah. Of course he does. I mean, I don't know if he had a sock there, but I want to believe. I want to believe that he was just up there slinging dick. A dude was like seventeen when that first record came mm -hmm. out. Imagine. And he wasn't even the first choice. They went through a few people. Jimmy Page did when he put the band together. Uh, one, one of my favorite singers of all time. I love Robert Plant, but I always felt like if Steve Marriott. I always wanted to hear what that would sound like if he'd into the guy from Humble Pie. Fucking incredible voice. And was I, he supposed to be? I, I, I'm not. I want to say maybe Page wanted him, but he couldn't do it. I know they talked to maybe Rod Stewart. Whoa. As it was at Faces at the time or earlier. There was, there, he was, I know Robert Plant wasn't choice number one. Dude. And they had to talk Bonham into taking the gig. Page and John Paul Jones had known each other through session work in the mid-'60s, and, and when the Yardbirds broke up, Jimmy somehow – uh, thought he had rights to the name, and he wanted to put together like a super band of all his the favorite his favorite musicians he played with. And Bonham was uh, recommended by the bass player John Paul Jones, but they had to go and like talk him into it because he was playing with bands at the time that paid him a lot more money. Wow! And Jimmy's like had to explain what they were trying to accomplish and sell him on the idea. Uh, but that was that was sort of a like every talk about like bands that are put together by labels. It wasn't it, Jimmy Page was a genius and a, and a very, you know, visionary kind of guy. So he knew he needed to build this band to take over the world, and that's what he did. Wow, great producer too. To fucking phenomenal guitarist, right? Uh, probably one of the most in inventive guitar players ever. A lot of people say sometimes, especially later when he's on the Morphine. Some sometimes it can be a little sloppy, but I like that. I like I hate perfect. Mm. Probably nothing more boring than perfect. So is that is the sound of a guitar similar to like a voice? Like sometimes the dude will have a raspy, crazy, fucked up voice, and it just makes it right. I mean, yeah, any real artist player with an instrument, it doesn't matter what the guitar is or the amp or anything. Like anybody that has their thing, they can pick up anything, and within like three notes, you just know it's that person. You know. What do you think of that? How do you say his name? Le Ray. La Montaigne, is that how you say it? Yeah, he's a like a songwriter. Yeah. Do you know that song, Jolene? Have I you do. heard that song? Yeah, he's God. got a really cool voice, man. Damn. My That's buddy a... Dan did a record with him, and I've never met him, but no, he's a, I think, a really cool Dude. vibe. Dude, his voice is insane. And I think he's kind of like, he was sort of, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to be like, well, sort of like came into it later like I did. He had like jobs and shit before and then just started doing it. And that makes sense. Found success later on. I think that makes sense with a lot of people, man. Yeah. I just think people like Justin Bieber, like he's got a way harder road. It's a way harder road to try to figure Dude, out who can the you fuck imagine, you are. Like all things considered, I, he's probably handling it okay. He's handling it you know? phenomenally. For, for, you think about he was what fucking eight or he's only twenty four. <laughs> you know, he's twenty four years he's 24 old. Twenty four, right Holy now. shit! He just and turned. All this has already happened. Just turned twenty four. And he's rolling around on a G7. That's his day-to-day, -day, you know. Just he does whatever the fuck he wants, all dude. All the time. Yeah, you know, you don't pay attention to things. I'm not like a, 
I'm not glued into pop culture, but somehow like you just can't not know what Justin Bieber's up to once a month, just walking around in the world anymore. But it, I would say that kid, for most people to be handed that type of existence and all of that scrutiny and all the shit that comes along with that, like that does things to people, you know? It definitely does. Especially if your personality's not even formed yet. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, I'm so grateful I got into this business at 35. Yeah. And not 21. Cause. I was talking to my friend John this weekend about this, and I was saying that it's almost like if you made an epoxy, right? You know, if you have epoxy, you just put a, a couple ingredients in. Like, there's one thing, and you mix it with another thing, then it hardens. But if you add some shit in that that's not supposed to be there, and it's fully developed, right. you're not going to take that shit out. Like, if you added oil, you threw some oil in the epoxy, like, ah, oh, now you fucked that whole thing up. That's kind of what you're doing to a person when you raise a person famous. If you take some reality star from the time they're five, and then they're in a sitcom and a movie, and then you've gone through your whole, I don't know why I said reality star, but you've gone through your whole life if you're that person. If you're Justin Bieber, you've gone through your whole life. Under that eye. Under the eye, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and more and more people are paying attention. Like, you never had a moment like you did where you're working for the railroad tracks. Right. Or like, you know, I did going on the road for years or some of the jobs that I had before I was ever a comedian. They don't have any of those. They don't, they don't have the wondering if you could pay your bill feeling. They don't know that feeling. They don't have the, you I know. See, I still feel like that. <laughs> you know, that's what's fucked up. My wife, I, I'm just like, I'm still like, I just, I, I'll never not feel like that, you know? Yeah. From never... Never really had money or anything like that or had any aspirations to own a house or those kind of things. So it's just, uh, I'm, you know, especially with kids now, like I just don't, it's, there's no flamboyance. Yeah. But now he, he lives a different life where people like Rihanna, these, they're like literally citizens of the world. And any day of the week they could be in some five-star hotel and God knows where, you know. Yeah, God knows where. Yeah, it's a crazy way to live. Very bizarre. Jet setting, flying I around. I couldn't do it, man, because there's no way. I don't ever. I don't ever want to wake up and have that kind of career because it takes so many people around you like on a daily basis just to maintain and keep something a machine that large rolling. Logistically speaking, that you become enslaved to the job. You know what I mean? Because you have all these. There's like there's always this name. Like when you have superstar X, you know, you put this head right here, and then everything below that, just to make that thing go around. You know, and you, and it just turns into this. It's like a corporation, really. Like with twenty semi trucks and all this shit, you know. And you got to go out and make that happen because now all these people depend on you for their livelihoods and careers, and <laughs> so then that's going to affect the artistic decisions you make because you have to stay relevant, culturally speaking. And if you if you want to do something different next time, well, now this massive fan base isn't really going to fucking deal with that very well. Right. So, you know, like when Beastie Boys put out Paul's Boutique. Exactly. People went, "What the fuck?" They went, "What the fuck?" But now it's a, it's you know Classic. one of the class most greatest records ever made. But people back then didn't know what to handle. They didn't know what to do with that. They didn't. They didn't have the the Beastie Boys classified in the artist box. Right. They had them in the pop music box. So this is silly. You got to fight for your right to party. We get it. Yeah. You guys are partiers. Cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, Paul's boutique is like, whoa, what is this? Mm-hmm. Well, you think David Bowie went from Ziggy Stardust to doing a soul album in like nine months with Luther Vandross and. 
Yeah, wow. Those are huge, classic, amazing records now, but like you realize those guys were playing theaters when all that shit happened. Whoa. And he's just like, I'm done with this. I'm going to go do this now. You literally can't see anymore because I fucking killed it on stage. Yeah. That's over. You know. Do you think Rod Stewart gets enough credit? I don't, actually. I don't either. I think, especially Man Faces, and even those early solo records, those are some amazing albums. His voice... Is incredible. You know what I happened to him? Stewart. What? The hits. He got too much pussy. Do you think I'm Fried sexy? His brain. If you yeah. want my pot. Once he hit that, everybody's like, check, please. He's you like, know? wait, I'll, that's all I got to do? Because remember, <laughs> like, like, go back to Maggie May, you know? Wake up, Maggie. Like, that song was, that was, there was something in that song, right? There was a guy trying to figure his life out, hanging out with some chick. Yeah. Rod Stewart's a badass. Fi- man. Oh, man. No question. What uh, is that song? Is it called Maggie May? Yeah, him and uh, Elton John, all those guys. Like that's yeah, you know, he was a beast. It was a different level. But then he started wearing like leopard tight pants and shit because and, he could. I mean, look could. at that shit. It ain't like it's not working. You know look what I mean? Him, like, look at him. Look at that look. <laughs> he actually was a. Uh, I think he almost played professional <laughs> soccer for Celtic or somebody. Wow. Uh, he was like a really great soccer player when he was a kid, but he was too small, so he had to. And he's another one, right? That like, basically, like you're never gonna see one of those again. No, I don't think so. You're never going to see a lot of things again, just because it. There's just no nobody that's actually that. Might, no, that's not necessarily true. You might see more things now because right. that's true too, right? You know, I'm, I'm getting too. ahead of myself. Like, I, you know, for all intents, I, I shouldn't be here, right? You it's know? true. It wasn't an industry creation, right? So now, like, anything really is possible. Yeah, that's a good point. You just have to fight and sift through so much shit. Most of it mediocrity to get to something that really hits you or that you connect with. Well, I think you're also saying this out of your own personal experiences where you're, you realize you could, you could have not been you, like easily. You could have not turned out into being you. Oh, if I'd have sat down in a room with a bunch of people who know what's best, I wouldn't have been me. Yeah. You, you know? and most people that are successful. Uh, you know. we well, <laughs> that's how my, it is. my first record, we did shop to a few labels. Um, in town, but you know, it, it, I was a little bit behead, ahead of the whole neo trad curve that sort of kicked off in the last few years. Mm. I made this really traditional country record, and uh, but it was it was like hard country. It was very uh, like an album I'd always wanted to make, and we shopped it to a few people, and they just didn't really know it wasn't the right time, so nothing came of it. Uh, so we self released it. So then when I did the second one, Meta Modern, and now I've got this whole record about like. You know, mind, the, the journey of a soul or a mind or whatever, talking about turtles and fucking tripping and shit. Right. Like, I was like, I knew nobody's going to get this. <laughs> like, I can waste time trying to find somebody to release or we can just put the damn thing out. And I'm so glad we did it that way. Just because I know what happened was a result of people hearing it and sharing that with their friends. 100%. That's how yeah. I found out about it. Right. I found out about it for people online. And I got to tell you, the, the cover of it threw me off at first. The cover of well, it, I was like, That was what? me being a smartass, because I was like, there's all this, like, uh, y- you know, you go to these festivals and stuff. I'm like a grown-ass man, you know what I mean? Work fucking stupid jobs. So like, I'm, now I was in this, all of a sudden, in this position of going out playing all these festivals and looking at these kids and stuff, doing it and all, and it's just great. You make a lot of friends. But there's it's, there's a lot in any industry. There's a lot of uh, people like for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Like yeah. ch- chasing something that right. they want to see themselves in, as opposed to something they see within themselves. Right. Right. And so 
we started doing these festivals and there's a lot of like what they call like the younger hipster kids and stuff when they had these tin type photos that were really popular a few years ago and i was like well how can i out hipster the hipsters so i'll do a painting of a tin type photo and surround it by like the tackiest outer space they did. my buddy that i did the thing with we were actually trying to make the worst album cover of the year we ended up we ended up making a top 10 list on rolling stone we didn't get the cherry but uh I was like, let's just make the tackiest fucking thing we possibly can. Like, those cheesy fonts and... Um, it's kind of crazy. Because the music, was to me, was so heavy and personal and real. So I was like, God, I man, I don't want to be... I kind of wanted to make fun of, like, the dude levitating in the fucking cave before before people turn you into that. You know what I mean? Because, like, that's not at all... A lot of the shit was just stuff I'd been reading about or, yeah. you know, you're in character. Yeah, but it was psychedelic country music. It was psychedelic, well, which is a lot. I, I love a lot of 60s rock, and some of my favorite country records ever made were made in the late 60s. Some of the, uh, like Gene Clark and some of the early Vern Gosden brothers type stuff. There was this level of psychedelia in the production that made it so beautiful. And, I got to get a list of shit to listen yeah, I'll, to. Yeah, I'll throw you some shit, brother. man. Um, but then, talented guys, and I was kind of a taskmaster, so it was such a, such a young band because they wanted to play loud, and you got to pull things back or like... You can only have this symbol, that kind of thing, and get it down to the structure of the songs. And we spent like three months on the road just carving those songs out and the arrangements. And I had it pretty much, you know, duck pussy tight, which is waterproof. And then, we, you know, <laughs> we, we came off the road and went right into the studio the next day for four days and just banged it out. Oh, wow. And so, so you just were in the groove. Yeah, basically just plug up like five mics, don't move anything, and just lay it all down. And then Dave and I with the mixing, and then he had some great ideas in post-production like – getting the sounds around but then you come back and we had all these separated recordings so to me i realized the real fun is putting everything in sequence and making these cycle to maximize i guess the emotiveness of the records right in terms of a roller coaster of emotions if you know instead of just one so like every time we do it now it's always different uh, like the record i did after that was recorded that one a totally different way Go, still going fast but you know i, I always wanted to make a big kind of lush orchestral soul record and then what i've learned is that i don't want to be in the music business because i'm just going to be in the sturgill business ah. um because there's this like the mechanical timeline of it all by the time we go in and make that record you're so you've been processing and thinking about it so much for for months and you get in and you have that release and it's it's like I equate it to driving in a really heavy downpour rainstorm for like an extended period of time where just like there's a mental exhaustion that comes for it, but you have to just kind of like keep going. And but by the time it's finished and mixed, you've heard this thing like a thousand times. You don't ever want to hear it again. But now you gotta go out and play it on the road every night for a year, year and a half. So we're constantly trying to reinvent every night how to keep that fresh and exciting. While, while holding the pause button on going over here and recording what creatively you may already be on to. Wow. So I, I'm, I realized this year I'm going to take the reins. I'm going to do like, I'm going to play like 30 festivals because those things are always so fun. Just go out and get all the energy in your face. And then we're going to do probably a double album and another record and just and record it all. So that when I do turn around and want to go do like a really big long two year tour, we have all this new material and the old stuff to pull from. I like how you're, you're approaching it so like you're approaching like a plan it is a plan you have to yeah. look at it like a plan um do you think everybody does that well there's all kinds of different plans i just know what works for me i've learned more importantly what works for my family and my sanity 
Um, I don't need to go play 300 shows a year. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I'd rather go play 30 or 60 shows and know that every one of those was 110% as opposed to, you know, you got yeah. the Tuesday and Wednesday shows to get you to this weekend market where everybody's counting their checks already and shit and you're exhausted and then the shows suffer and these people pay money or maybe they don't realize that like you can't hear anything for 40 minutes because you don't ever want to project negativity from the stage if you can help it. But there's, you know, the bad nights. I just want every night to be great. And then, but most importantly right now, for me, the fun is, is the, the studio and the, the process of trying to push it and get to what's next. Yeah, you do d totally different albums. Every time you put an album out, it's a completely well, different I mean, I, I'm a music listener and lover, first and foremost. Probably a musicologist more than a musician at this point. Is that a word? Yeah, I mean, I, like I, that's my field of study. Like musicologist? Yeah, if I had to like say that I have obsessed over one subject enough to where somebody should probably give me a fucking piece of paper that says I know what I'm talking about, it's probably music. Um, did but, you... Did, when did it start? Like, did you have this your whole life? Early, early, yeah, whole life. Wow. Probably, honestly, first time, um, from Michael Jackson, maybe. I was like... You know what's kind of fucked up about this? What? You wouldn't have been you if you didn't come into this so late. No, like, hell think no. Of your whole, but think no, of your whole life, no. right? Your whole life you loved music. Yeah. You could have easily just been on a path from the time you were in high school. Well, right? always played. Right. But I'm glad I never, like, right. recorded anything. Right. Until... Yeah, because when you're younger, you know, like Eric Clapton. I love Eric Clapton. Huge influence. Never met the guy. But uh, there's a great documentary that came out. But you can look back in his career. He was so young and passionate and talented. Uh, there was one particular record he did with a guy named John Mayle. It was like kind of the birth of like rock and roll guitar tone. It was the first time everybody plugged a Les Paul into a Marshall and just cranked the fucking thing. And that record, that sound, everybody's like, whoa. Like that was a thing that happened. But you can look at his career – and he was such a chameleon going through all these phases, and a lot of it was emulation or reinterpretation because he you know, got into substance abuse. But you can see how much his career shaped him more so than and all the people he'd been around and was as friends with and exposed to and him rubbing off on them and vice versa. Wow. But you, you, anybody in their 20s is still – anybody I know in their 20s is definitely still figuring out who they are as a person, much less an artist. Yeah, I'm I'm almost forty and I'm still figuring out who I am as an artist, you know, because every year you know you're gonna feel different every fucking day, much less two years from now when it's time to make a record. Yeah, and you're gonna change it up as you see fit. You're you're gonna go with what what's going on in your mind right now. Right. That's a beautiful thing, right? You don't have a, you, I mean, even though you have like a whole sort of entity behind you in terms of like people carrying your stuff and all the jazz that's going on, all the equipment that's involved in doing one of your shows. Yeah, very few people. How many people you got? Uh, myself, three members of the band. We have a tour manager. We have uh, our side monitor sound guy, the front sound guy, and my merch girl. So, so you got there's 12 nine, people? Nine people nine on people? the bus with the, with the driver. So I know I'll always be in one bus. We got one truck to haul the gear and all that shit. That's pretty minimal compared to some bands. In, in respect to like what you do, yeah. kind of shows you do that. That is pretty minimal. It's. Uh, I would like. I would keep it there as long as possible, no matter what happens. Mm. Um, just because, you know, I've never been like a big lights guy or any of that stuff. It's just you know, the guys in my band are all pretty amazing players. We try to go out and 
put a show on. If you were doing something else, though, like say if you were a part of a band, that band was being promoted very heavily by some record company that had put the band together. Mm -hmm. You know, some, you know, they do like those manufactured bands or something like that. You'd be in a situation where you're basically required to do commercially successful and viable music. You couldn't just free ball like you're doing and doing whatever you want to do. Um, I, honestly, I don't know, man. I, all I know is that what's happened to me. And most of the people, most of my friends are people that just kind of do their thing. But there, there is definitely is that element. But there's, you know, um, I've only, I never thought I'd ever sign with a record label. Really? Um, yeah, I never had any interest in it whatsoever. And the, and then we, you know, all, when things kind of took off, we met, all of them came knocking. Um, but it, it was working fine by ourselves, just sort of subcontracting my team. And the one thing I, the only reason any artist should ever sign with a record label is for larger recording budgets, you know, a larger toolbox with, right. with, in which to use to make your, your product, let's call you know, for lack of a better term. Um, so they, they have like serious places where you can go to, you can get to ridiculous studios and they know. Or not. I mean, I still, I still record in the, you know, my favorite studio in Nashville. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just money for players and, and gear you might not have or uh, and then mixing and, and then the more time to spend in the studio it really is i don't you know we we did we did meta modern in three or four days because we had to mm. doesn't necessarily you know dark side of the moon was made in like nine months <laughs> you know, so was it really? i don't know yeah it was definitely like two separate extended sessions wow you know you don't just I, for me it's the, the that's the fun is sitting in that room and figuring out how to break shit and make sounds I haven't heard before. And you need time to do that. You need, um, you know, money. Uh, but you can you, know, you can make great records for a, a very little money too. So what's the benefit of having a record company? They they pay for the gear. Well, they, they, they pay for production. The, the benefit of having a, a record company is simply um, somebody else pockets. Well, you it all comes back on you. And you know we don't want to pull the curtain back too much here. But you're basically I looked at it as like. Uh, going into business with a bank for at least two records, uh, take out a loan that I, I'm pretty sure I'll never pay back because um, the recoup, you know, it's in there. But I feel like I'm more of like a, it, it all comes down to the bean counters eventually. Like, I, you know, my records sell two, 300,000 copies, and at some point they'll have to decide whether that's fiscally viable to them anymore because they don't, they don't make any money off me unless I sell records. You know what I mean? Like they don't. It, it was a very friendly, structured deal. Like touring and all that publishing shit's completely separate. There's nothing to do. I just make records, and they have to sell them. Right. And I get to make the records that I, I maybe couldn't or would make on my own. I don't know. But outside of that, a record company um, provides marketing or reach or push or even, sadly, in the music business. There's probably less bullshit in politics. There may even be less politics in politics. Uh, you know, I probably would not have been up for album of the year at the Grammys last year had I been on 30 Tigers as opposed to Atlantic Records. You know what I mean? Right. Um, no, I think it was a great record. I know I deserved to be there, but it wouldn't have happened if you didn't have that kind of weight at the table. That's very know? honest and that, you. and that can make you feel like jaded against it all. Or you can be like, OK, well, you know, Wiz Khalifa, they probably spend more money marketing one single for Wiz Khalifa than my entire project costs. Yeah. 
So because they make all those records and Bruno Mars or whoever sells 18 gazillion records, guys like me get to make records. And that's how it works. It's a trickle down, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's all based on the money that they made from a long time ago, really. And then maintaining some sort oh, of Oh, they're still making the money, now. man. The streaming right. thing, you know, they're all in bed now with the streaming services. Yeah, we've talked about this before. You've seen profits steadily climb back for them up. but not really for, for artists not really for the artists which no, is I, crazy you know, i have nothing against spotify i know people are like fuck that shit but look at it like this man the people that are streaming music they're not buying records anyway but they're still finding your music they're still right. telling their friends about it they're still coming to your show which is how we get paid playing shows yeah they're still your fans um so you have to either embrace it or go fucking do something else you know yeah yeah no, but, that's a good point. But now when, when Spotify starts kicking songwriters 12 points, then, yeah, I'll do commercials for them. <laughs> Until then, you know, but they are doing, whether you realize it or not, you see, it does count up, but... It counts up, but it is a weird thing. When it's your very business weird. model is based on you selling art and you don't pay for it. Specifically, even even with it, I feel more like Atlantic went into business with me. I feel in, in many ways still feel like a very independent-minded artist. Like, no, I don't go to meetings. Nobody's telling me what to do. Right. Um, I don't have a manager or even technically a publicist at this point. I'm just sort of floating and making, writing songs and making records. And then we go play shows and that's, if you could just keep that, yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, just where keep, I, yeah. I've in the last figure, five years figured out where I want to be right? and, and what parts of it mean and something to me and, and I know I'm getting and giving back with the fans. Well, I think it's also when if you can stick into that groove, you stay in that groove right there, you can maintain who you are. You can you can still explore new ideas. You can you, you're not you're not being pushed too much. You know, no. if you were if you were like being pushed to constantly produce new stuff and it could I could imagine that wears on artists. Well, I just spent so much of my early life working for other people. I just made a point one day when I'm, before I moved to Nashville, I'm not going to do that ever again. I don't want to work for anybody else unless it's something somebody I really admire or is like a really exciting creative thing that like I feel like I could benefit from or learn from being involved with. I understand a thousand percent. But what's interesting is when I talk about it on the podcast, sometimes people who don't do that, they, they do work for someone. They have a job. They get upset. Right. They feel like it sounds like you're talking down on jobs. But the reality is you're working there for money. We've all done it. Everybody's worked for money. Everybody's worked for money. I, some of my jobs, I, I love the railroad gig. Yeah. If this all gave up tomorrow, I actually could be just fine. I'd go back to the railroad and be totally happy. Go out and throw switches 12 hours a day, have my four days off, make a good salary, you know, whistle while I work, all that shit, man. Yeah. Like, but a plan, it doesn't hurt to have a plan B. But no, working for other people was never something I enjoyed. But I think anybody that even hears us say that, the reality is if someone gave them the option, you don't have to work ever again. They would go, okay. What would you do, though? You'd do whatever you want. What I would do, I would, I would fill my day up with learning shit. You're one of the busiest fucking people I know, though. You don't have a job, but you, you, you're a very proactive human being. You know, you do whatever you want all day long, but it doesn't yeah. mean you're not working. You're not benefiting. I do whatever I want, but I earn it. Like, I right. do shit. I earn it. I feel like I have to, I have to work. My, the thing with my job is it doesn't feel like work. Right. Uh, there are parts that did feel like work that I identified that really have nothing to do with what I want to wake up and do. Every day. So now I just don't do those things anymore. Right. And now it's like, I, you know, the travel sometimes feels like work. 
the things that I do are, don't feel like work. Like this def- definitely never feels like work. Podcasts don't feel like work. Stand up doesn't feel like work. Working for the UFC doesn't feel like work. Those things don't feel like work. But the stuff in between those things to make sure those things work well, that's the work. Sure. Like like working but do you, out, do, writing, do you and do stuff. that? Do you handle the day to day admin? Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't have anybody. I don't have an assistant. My my take is always: if you need an assistant, you just do less shit. You don't want someone that you have to constantly check in on and make sure they're they've got their shit together. And I've had some friends that had assistants, and then your life becomes their life, and your problems become their problems. Their problems become your problems as well. Mm-hmm. Anybody you invite into your life, you're inviting their problems into your life. It's that's, just that's ultimately what I've learned. And it's also, <laughs> I don't necessarily think in my case it's necessary. Maybe other people are more busy and they need assistance. And I, I have a lot of friends who have assistants, a lot, you know. But I just, think I don't function that way. I, I, I want to. When I wake up, I set my. I have a bunch of shit I'm going to do today. I set my alarm clock right. and I have a schedule. But that schedule is mine. I made it's it. It's yours. Yeah. When I went running today, you change it whenever yeah, you whatever want. Whatever the to. fuck I want. Yeah. My but tour I, manager is like this, the sweetest, most empathetic human being I've ever met. And you know, he's not just he's not just responsible for me. He's like the babysitter and and the the mother of the whole family. But like sometimes, if we've been on the bus for a while or, or rolling. Most, more than anything to give everybody else a, a break and do them a favor I'll go off on my own and like stay at a different hotel or I'll go to a different city for two days and he's always like you know he's from New Zealand he's like so sweet he's like fucking gigantic and uh, he's like would you like me to book your room you know, like, no I, I got it man and so he's like are you sure and he's almost like I almost feel like I'm hurting his feelings because I won't right. let him like take care of my day. It's like, motherfucker, I got Priceline. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I can do this. <laughs> I go, you know. People don't expect you to be doing that, though. Right. That's what's interesting, right? They want, they want to be able to handle it so you don't have to do the mundane things that a normal person does. So you got eight other people to, to take care of right now. I'm a grown-ass man. Yeah, I would never want to do what you were saying John Lennon did, just lay around, walk around naked, and I can't do it. That's I don't think me. he liked to work. Yeah. I mean, he was a true artist. Yeah. (laughs) I get it. I mean, I get it. But for me, it's almost like I know what makes me feel like shit, and I know what makes me feel good. Right. What makes me feel good is when I get shit done. What makes me feel like shit is when I'm lazy, then I get anxiety. Depressed. feel weird. I don't feel good. I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. And people think that, oh... Because I work hard and I'm I'm constantly doing something that I never feel like that. No, I definitely will feel like that. I just That's saw why something I do it. recently. They proved that task completion, your brain releases a chemical that makes you fucking feel great. Oh you yeah, man! Like I did this. I did something. I have purpose. When you finish your yeah. album, when you're done, it's bam. amazing. Oh, but it's also terrifying. I'm sure. Because you're like, God, I gotta like release that. Yeah. People are gonna hear that shit. You know? Yeah. But yeah, it, it does feel like. Yeah. A release is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think everybody should experience that, even in a small... I think little kids get that when they earn their fucking karate belts. And you see a little kid get a yellow belt, and they tie it on, they're beaming his face. Oh, like, man. they can't believe it. I, I did it, I did it. I give my oldest a high five for anything, and it's like you see them light up. Yeah. It's just like that affirmation. Yep. Getting something done, they did it. It didn't... I mean, think about... Especially when you're talking about, like, little children... Like my seven-year-old loves to draw. She's really into art, 
and like she takes a piece of paper and this is not a big deal to us as grown men she takes a piece of paper and that paper is blank and in her little brain she decides what's going to be on that paper she's like i'm going to draw a dog and then boom it's a dog you know i'm going to draw a dog that has a wing and also has a tail and has a, a tail that grows out of his forehead and they just make sh wacky shit up and she thinks it's fucking hilarious like look he's got a tail on his head ha right. but in her little mind she's learning that she can do whatever the fuck she wants with that time. There's she nobody there saying anything. you shouldn't do that. No one's saying right. anything. And little kids gravitate towards that, man. When little kids start drawing, they gravitate towards this expansion of the creative aspects of your mind. Like whatever it is in your mind that causes you to have these ideas. Whatever in your mind that causes you to think of a story that you want to write down or a, a, a drawing that you want to try to accomplish and try to put down. Those little things to a kid are magical. Because they didn't have any of that before. I mean, they, they just learned how to talk. She's seven. Right. And she's only been talking for five and a half years. You know, all that other stuff before was gibberish. And all of a sudden, she's sitting in front of the pad, and no one tells her what to do. Little seven-year-old, like, hmm, I think I'm going to paint today. And she gets out the paint and just puts a little of this and a little of that. You're flexing those little muscles, you yeah. know, just as if you were doing push-ups. You're flexing those creative feels. You know, and to encourage that with kids, that's what we all love. We all love doing something. And people say, well, I'm not very creative. I just like working with wood. That is fucking creative. <laughs> like carpenters are goddamn creative. Yeah. You built a house, motherfucker. Do you understand? I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah, I'm in, I, all, I'm in all of that. It's actually. amazing. What I you, grew up around construction. It's fucking hard to do. You build a badass house, that shit is hard to do. Or that, people that are like highly mechanically inclined can, can just take a car completely apart oh, yeah. and put it back together in the garage. I've always Dude. been really envious Guys of Guys who build cars, that's art. That's yeah. art. Mechanics, there's an art to even being a mechanic, just doing it all perfect, putting it together, using your mind, thinking out how to do, maybe we could bore out this and put that in and swap this out and what's the issue with the vehicle. And there's like a, there's a, there's a creative aspect to anything that's really satisfying. And I think that, you know, we, we kind of pound that out of kids, man. Yeah, I think that's very true. We pound it out of them. Very man. true. Well, the, it has no, it doesn't serve capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Uh, I the the <clears throat> like I was saying earlier, I had this this train job, and the first year I was there, I was just like out on the ground, like throwing the switches and disconnecting the trains and hooking them back up and that kind of thing. And then yeah. I got I got uh, promoted to the, what they call like a yard master or like well you know yard boss, and you're in the truck, and you're sort of in charge of. The inbound and outbound manifest and everything that comes in and how what gets blocked apart and switched over to this track and you're building other trains and you got to get them out on time and like as soon as they put me in that job it was like the greatest job i ever had because i was playing tetris you know what i mean i was just like fucking baron von munchausen in my little fucking truck with my eight thousand radios like tearing trains apart and just watching it all like happen and get it out the gate on time and it, get, oh, it became wow. like a high you know wow because it's high pressure very dangerous yeah. There's only three guys out there making all this shit happen. You got the guy driving, the engineer, the dude breaking them apart, and then whoever's on the back, like, sort of playing the chessboard. Ooh. Yeah. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I got a big old thermos. <laughs> got all that shit, man. Yeah. There's some good jobs, for sure. But if somebody came up to you in the middle of that good job and said, you don't have to do this ever again, you can do whatever the fuck you want, you would leave. It's a good yeah, job for a job. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, it's a good yeah. job for a job. Well, I fucked up and took a management <laughs> position after that. And oh, then I was no. And like, these offices, totally out of my element, getting oh, screamed no. out on a conference call when some other asshole 
didn't get the train out on time. Isn't that crazy? Because you yeah. went from having this cool, high-pressure job that makes you feel good to making more money, but you don't get that juice anymore. Yeah, I was like, man, this is way too stable. I better be a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, I burn out. I hit vapor lock because it was I just I was like, yeah. I've got to go to fucking golf. I can't imagine shit with other dudes and oh, khaki pants now like i can't even pretend to be this guy like what am i thinking those yeah. are the guys that i think of when i that thoreau quote uh most men live lives of silent desperation yeah those are the men i think of those those men that have fallen into some salary position where they're not happy and they want to get out and they don't know how to well they have they have the the downfall of being highly efficient individuals and other CEOs recognize that and be like, I can put you on salary and work you 90 hours a week and you're going to get oh. it done because you won't let yourself fail, but you'll probably oh. fucking drink five pots of coffee a day. And well, listen, Sturgill, yep. if you keep going, you've yep. got a good position in this company. I'm telling you, you've got a bright future. You can make it happen. 401k, 519a. Mm -hmm. I'm making those numbers up. All that shit. It's crazy. It's most people, you know? People get tired of people hearing this because they don't know what to do. And so when, I didn't know what to do yeah. forever. I mean, I, I just worked, you know. But then you do. Well, now I you know, always played music, but never thought it was something you could even do for a job. Right. Would, would have known, known where to go or how to do that until I married somebody a lot smarter than me one day. And I was like, man, I'm really unhappy. And she's like, it's because you're supposed to be playing music, dumbass. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, oh, that's probably true. So. But if you did it earlier, you wouldn't be you. It's the craziest thing ever. It's like you had to go through all that bullshit to get the sound that you have now, to get the, the soul behind it that you have now. Sure. That's the, the sound of a man who suffered. Oh, yeah. It's the sound of a man who understands. That's, that's the woes is me. That's real. <laughs> that's a re that's, there's a real emotions, you know, like that Jolene song that we're talking about. Yeah, it's your all lost, though, man. If it had happened when I was younger, it would have been way more interesting to watch. I would have fucked it up so you good and proper. hard, right? So good and proper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who, I mean, that's props to Justin Bieber. Now we're happy, man. I'm, um, Just keeping it together. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to complain. Yeah, it should be. Got a great, great, great band. Family's healthy. Dude, you're in the groove. I'm in the you're groove, in the doing my thing as, as far as I want to. You're in what my friend Vinny Shorman calls Hakalau. It's when you, he's a, like a hypnotherapist. He trains, does a lot of mind work with fighters, like a mind coach. And he's like, there's this state that you get in where everything just flows. Everything's flows. And that's... What you've what you figured out how to do so brilliantly in your life is after you've been through a bunch of bullshit, you figured out how to get to a place of success, and then you're able to just do your thing. That's that's your flow. Look, you found your thing. That's well, a, yeah, and I had to learn that even in the last few years, you know, because sure. you it's so easy when I've always said, use a metaphor when you're on the train, it's hard to tell how fast it's going, Ooh. and and more importantly where it's going because a lot of times you don't really have any control or, or even say so in that matter and in some regards you don't want to know yeah how the sausage gets made but then it, it, it i've i'm at a point now where as as, as far as i ever want to go because i i'm i have all the freedom to do what i want right and it might not sell as good or as as great as the last one did but like i'm having fun 
and it's going to be okay, you know? I don't think you're going to have any problems. I think the, the real yeah. issues have always been in the past about distribution in terms of like radio play, uh, album sales. So we don't but do a guy like you, yeah, and a guy yeah. like you, you're so locked in. You're in. You came along at the right time, man. You came along. You're locked in the zeitgeist, but you came along at the right time of the internet, where like you were putting I your think it stuff was out. It's like all shoo. luck and right time. I mean, definitely not all luck, but there was definitely like. I'm just. Your I'm just instincts. glad nobody else wrote a song about turtles that year because it would have been <laughs> very different outcome. It would have been like that year that they had the two meteor movies. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, can't have fucking can't have two songs, media. Man. Yeah, you can't have that. Yeah, <laughs> some, guy, some guy wrote a book this year with the same title of that song. I mean, he was getting all kinds of shit on, Is he? on the internet. I was like, I didn't fucking come up with it. Like, don't send this to me. Yeah, you know, people stole don't want to look into like, things. <laughs> yeah, turtles all the way down. People don't want to look into things. I didn't know what it meant until you explained it. I don't, still don't know what it means. I just thought you know. Yeah, that's cool. No, I know what it means, but in a, a very dumbed down. For, for, to make this a standalone podcast, explain to people what turtles all the way. Well, down. it's a jocular expression, uh, more of a um, a funny way to put what is originally a concept, as far as I know, that was first described in detail by a Jesuit priest named Pierre d'Archardin, uh, all about how about the omega point in the universe and how all consciousness emits from this one central point of origin where the whole thing banged out from, and it's all just expanding. And reciprocating back to itself and like absorbing everything going on. But it's this one point where all things spiritual, scientific, metaphysical, all matter in the universe, all fucking knowledge emits from. And he got blackballed from the Vatican for preaching that. Whoa. Because he was like, you don't necessarily need to stand in a building to talk to God because God is everywhere and all around you and inside you all the time. Whatever you want God to be or, you know. Um, so the, 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 I got it from a Stephen Hawking book where, and it's weird, you can go around the world and there's all these ancient civilizations, whether it be some Native American tribes or parts of Far Eastern Asia where they find like these adherence to turtles and elephants and olden culture and Hindu mythology. There's even a Hindu illustration representing sort of a similar figure or myth that it all set on the back of this great turtle like flying around in space because they, they, they held the, those animals in such regard as old and wise creatures. Actually, turtles are the oldest living species on the planet. They predate crocodiles. Wow. And the, 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 the symmetry of their shell designs, no matter what species, it's always 13 pieces, which a lot of the old tribes thought had something to do with the lunar phases of the sun and how it was all tied in together with, you know. Um, Whoa. The, anyway, long long way of saying that Wasn't that song that was most... written as a result of a lot of fucking reading, no, not necessarily taking drugs, right. you know. Wasn't that the original, um, one of the more original calendars? Mm -hmm. Wasn't there like a 13 lunar cycle calendar? Yeah, it's a, um, was it Mayan? Yeah. Mayan or Aztec? I think that is what it is. I think it is a Mayan calendar. But it's all, the, all these cycles. things I sort of found or... The, symbiotically were connected i was reading at the time and it just and i was about to have my first child and i was just like man i want to make a country record about all this shit or like you Whoa. know write a song about the book of the dead and but as right. a traditional country record and then incorporate some classic rock psychedelia so that was all that was <laughs> <laughs> that's how i found you 
yeah. people online like, yo, the dude, this guy making psychedelic country music. Then, you gotta but, have him on but, your podcast. But then, like, then everywhere you go, people are making like hand you like hand bone glass third eyes and shit. You know what I mean? Like you get you get some real interesting characters, man. You get a little too many when of you those. Throw it out there like that. There's too many bongs out there, right? <laughs> People still rock the bong though. Gotta respect that, you know. It's like driving a manual car. I never was a bong guy. It's too heavy, man. I got too shit to do, around. man. I yeah. can't. Oh, the the hit just yeah. peeled down, or, or the dab thing. The, I got friends in Colorado, California. Now the first time I ever did that shit. Uh, this is a pretty embarrassing story, but my <laughs> I, my buddy, you know, they were all like California, Colorado guys. They roll pretty hard i'm not really a heavy smoker man to be honest on the road it, it keeps me occupied from time to time but if i'm writing maybe but at home it, you know there's no need so it the first time i did that shit i didn't know what it was you know and i just pulled it like it was a big old bong rip and then like everybody's face was like oh, oh you know i was like i need you instantly know you just did something you shouldn't have oh no and uh i was like oh fuck man so i sat down and after a couple of minutes i just started getting really cold and clammy and i was like yep <laughs> i'm gonna puke so i went over and i was like i fucked this guy so i puked right in his sink uh, and i was like dude i gotta go home i feel like dog shit now and i'm pretty sure i'm dying <laughs> so uh i had we lived in this apartment and i was like i went out the door and turned the corner to go down the hallway to my and it was full-on vertigo like the hallway every time i took a step the hallway got twice as long ah. and i was like this is fucked up my wife was out of the country on work at the time and i was like i remember i was sitting down in the hallway just like trying to get my shit together man because I, I thought i was having a fucking heart attack it was just like like boom, 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 sweating and I remember this voice saying, get up, you stupid junkie fuck, before somebody comes out here and sees you, you know, sitting in the hallway like a dumbass. And I managed to, like, pop out of it. And as soon as I got back to my place and sat down on the couch, everything was fine. But it was just so initial in the rush. I was just like, I don't, nobody needs to be that stone, you know, <laughs> that fast. I'm sorry. Yeah, so. what kind of milligrams are you getting, you think? They just had like that, that nail head torch thing with yeah. this three thousand dollar glass piece. I was like, you guys are taking this shit way too seriously. Yeah, uh, you could be curing fucking cancer somewhere right now. I'm pretty sure if they put the effort, energy, and and mind power. And have you seen the laser bongs now? Some I got a video sent to me the other day. Like this guy, like a pressure activated laser bong. He like shoots a beam and ignites the flower. Oh Jesus! Like that? Why is what the fuck's that guy doing? <laughs> Come on, man. Well, the thing is, they might be curing cancer. We got space colonies that somebody's going to need to build. You know, how many cancer patients are taking dabs? That might be the key. Out here, probably a lot. Get them on it. If I if I had if I was dying of terminal cancer, that's when you want to be that high. But look at this don't. thing. Do that again, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Look at this thing. Of course, he had to put fucking. He hits the light. Look LED at this laser. Lights in it. Yeah. This is fucking insane. Now, how do you not go blind staring at this? So he's heating it up. It's cooking. It's a good question. And then he takes a big hit. Wow. Yeah, anyway. Fuck, uh, the, 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 the medical strength stuff, I totally understand. And Fuck. I, that seems like you go blind, like if you're staring at a welder. Yeah. You know? Do you have to wear a welding mask? I, some, somebody <laughs> very, very close to my life, in my life recently that went, went, was dealing with that. Uh, Vertigo? No, like, like heavy medical issues health oh. issues and and we got him some edibles and uh he's like it's the only thing that made it okay like yeah. that discomfort and so when I, I had to have a sinus surgery we talked about this when we played the grammys out here 
uh, last year, I was sick as fuck, man. Like I was getting all year for like the last year and a half on the road, I was getting these horrible sinus infections all the time. And I, I, I just assumed it was allergies. Tennessee's really bad about that. Or we'd go to Texas or Atlanta places in, in October when all these crazy dogwoods are kicking off. And I'd lose my voice. And, you know, by no fault of my own, it became very frustrating from a touring standpoint because I felt like I was always sick, you know, because I was. So when we flew out and did the Grammys, I was all plugged up, couldn't sing. Obviously, biggest gig in my life, kind of stressing it. So the label guy sent me to this doctor who looked up in there and realized, you know, I probably had my nose broken at some point or just a really deviated septum when I was younger. So like a broken air filter. But then when they did the, the scan, like all the cavities were just completely caked with residual bacteria and infection. He's like, he's like, if you get on a plane and fly home, you're probably going to get meningitis. Whoa. So we had to play the Grammys. He put, he like nuked me with all this shit. I don't even know what he did, but it opened it up for like a day. So where I was able to sing. So the next day, the whole band, they flew home. I had to stay out here for like nine days, I think, and go in every morning twice a day for IVs for him to clean that shit out so I could fly home. Wow. So then we came back and did this surgery to correct it all. And like went in there and scraped and cleaned them all out and shit. And uh, along with the, the septum, they fixed the septum. So I haven't had a single issue since all that happened. Like I haven't been sick one time, which has like changed my life. But while I was recuperating, long story short, I didn't want to take any of the opioid or the fucking pills that they gave me to deal with the pain. I was like, I'm not taking that shit. I'm, you know, you're going to give me this for four weeks? Like, no, no way. And so I just got a bunch of medical strength edibles. And, and my wife and the kids, they had to come out. We had to rent a house. So I, had to, I had to be here to, like, recover and shit. And, man, just laying in bed, listening to headphones, stoned out of my mind for, like, a week recovering. And that's it's kind of awesome because you feel like when you're actually in pain or when you need that type of – that heavy type of alleviation, what, what it is actually doing – and offering you in terms of relief. And it gave me a whole new understanding and respect for like the medical side of that shit. Here we are back on pot again, but yeah. Um, and then my buddy who, who dealt with some pretty serious cancer said it was literally the only thing that made him feel better. So what did it do for you? Like, so you're, you're um, in this terrible agony. Yeah. Your nose is all fucked up. all plugged you know? up. I had like all this gauze and shit and you know, I could feel where they'd been in there, like behind scraping. me scraping and I could just, you know, so it immediately, like all that was gone. And you just sort of get really docile and euphoric and relax. I mean, like so fucking high, but like it didn't affect me in a in a overdosey nauseous sort of way. Like if you're right. eating too many edibles, because your body actually needs it. Needs it. Yeah. And I laid there listening to headphones and came up with the, the record I'm working on now, which is great <laughs> for me because it was like that's what I want to do next. You know. Um, yeah, it's a it's a crazy ride those edibles. But if you can take that ride, you get something out of it. And sometimes people take the ride, and the feeling is just too too self-examinatory, too no. paranoia-inducing. Sometimes people just can't handle on a, it. On a mass legality issue, I, I mean, if anything, I, I know it's just going to fuck pot up, you know. But from a medical stance, I, I do – I can't see any reason why we're still even talking about this. Yeah. You know. No, it doesn't make sense. We, we're, we're being fucked over by giant pharmaceutical companies that are making billions of dollars. And they would realize how much more money they would be losing every year if marijuana becomes fully legal. They've already lost money for sure. I guarantee you there's people that are buying edible marijuana right now that would have bought pain pills. They know it. Also insurance companies. Yep. 
you know, on-the-job accidents. Oh, he had weed in his system. We're not going to pay that settlement. Like, my life insurance now, I, I man, this is crazy. I did like one of the first interviews I ever did. I think I talked about like the first time I moved to Nashville and how like I didn't really know anybody. And or it was this was like 2005, and it was a different town then. So like I basically, and I said, I spent most of my time listening and playing bluegrass and drinking, which is pretty much what everybody does the first year they move to Nashville. Mm. But uh, then I and I said like after that, well, I moved out to Utah and got this job and, and you know got sober, was working all the time. So somebody put on my Wikipedia page that I've talked about my struggles with alcohol. And those people read that shit, man. When I had to get a life insurance policy, like they showed up, they'd read all the interviews and like, wow, you've been really open about this and that. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, so you do the whole medical test. And of course I test positive for THC because I'm on the road all the time. And I was like, but I don't, I don't smoke it. You know, I vape or edibles. Like I don't actually, I'm not a smoker. I never smoke cigarettes, but they list you as a smoker. And now I have like a criminally fucking insane yearly life insurance policy because, of course, like, you know, they think, well, musician, too, this guy's going to die. We can't fucking. You know? I have the exact same thing. Yeah, it's insane. Like, I'm not, I don't even smoke, but I'm, I'm listed as a smoker, and it's like literally $9,000, some crazy fucking premium just to make sure my family's okay if I die on a business trip. Yeah, they, um, they tested me, and uh, they said, well, you tested positive for pot. I go, yeah, that's because I smoke pot. You already know that. Like, what are you doing? You're trying to. Pretend I'm Has not anybody healthy? ever died from smoking pot? No, it's stupid. It's a dumb thing. Unless you think that I'm going to do dumb shit because I'm high all the time, if, if that's what you think. But that doesn't make any sense. You need to test how healthy I am. Guess what? I'm fucking healthy. Right. Yeah, I work out all the time, super healthy, eat good. I know what I'm doing. Like, you don't know what you're doing. The problem is you don't know what you're doing. You're the insurance guy. Right. You don't know what you're doing. If you knew what you were doing, you would look at each individual and go, oh, this guy's fine. This guy's healthy. This guy's concentrating on his health. This guy who doesn't smoke pot and just eats sugar all day, this guy's kind of fucked, though. Oh, that guy's real fucked. That guy's fucked. This guy who's on Adderall because he's got a prescription for ADD and you don't have a problem with that, that guy's fucked. All these other people, there's a lot of people that are fucked out there. And these insurance companies that think that a guy who smokes pot is more likely to die, there's no statistics to back that up. There's no statistics that say that people who smoke pot are more likely to get diseases or die of some sort of a fucking debilitating uh, syndrome that came about because of overuse of THC. It doesn't exist. But they're not even testing you for alcohol. They're not even tell they tell you, ask you how much you drink, but they're not testing you. Like, they can't test you. It's not in your system anymore. It's really strange, because uh, in, in the Navy and the railroad, there were very stringent, obviously highly stringent drug policies, but you know, drinking your ass off every night is completely fine. Completely fine. You know, don't don't smoke a joint at 5 p.m., but kill that six-pack and come in here and build this train the next morning. <laughs> you know, th those were always the guys that made me nervous. You know? <laughs> like, but not only that, there's like a culture of honor behind it, like how much you can handle your drunk. How, mu how much can you handle your drinking? Bobby had 17 fucking beers. I swear to God, bro, you would think he had zero. He's right there. Good for Bobby. Bobby's an animal. Yeah. Bobby puts him down. Like there's like a, a badge of honor that goes to that. You... Bobby's, meanwhile, he's taking something that's completely hindering his thought process, his, his stability, his, his emotions are all out of whack. Like, he's fucking drunk as shit. Right. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's wrestling. His brain is wrestling with alcohol right now, which is one of the weirdest depressants. You know, it's, it's awful. One of the weirdest drugs. It's, uh, you, you spend a lot of time on the road traveling constantly one you can't really drink especially at, at our age it just does things but you look out at rooms full of people every night that are 
hammered. Sometimes really drunk, or like if you work with people. Yeah, I, I don't. I refuse to. I don't. I don't like really let people drink in my band on the road. And that's, that's, that's cost you, me players because they'd rather drink than be in your band, and it just. Would you say you don't drink? Can they have a glass of wine with dinner? Well, there's, there's, yeah, well, that's like you know a beer or two, two you know. That, right, there's just not getting. Well, I'm just saying there's people that shouldn't drink. Right, you know what I mean? Yes. Like the guy that has one drink and instantly turns into a different Ooh. motherfucker altogether. Yeah. And then by the time he's on that third one, everybody's like, "How much longer we got to do this?" Yeah. You know? There's a lot of those guys <laughs> out there too. A lot of people. I didn't know that existed until uh, I, I, the first time I met one. One where the switch goes off and they the get Jekyll, gerbilized. Oh, the Jekyll and Hyde drunk? Yeah, yeah they get gerbilized. Like, oh. Gerbilized, wow, that's a good way to put you know? it. Man. They're, like, they're, they're not like, there like, ah, ah, ah. Shit gets weird. They're like, whoa, and they're moving yeah. around like they're a normal, awoke person. Hashtag woke. Yeah, there's a, a weird contradiction we have in the society. We were constantly drinking drugs in the form of caffeine, constantly getting drugs in the form of whatever your doctor prescribes you for depression or anxiety or ADHD or whatever that is, constantly going out and having drinks, taking drugs, the drugs being alcohol, taking taking a whiskey drug and a vodka drug, and no one, no one thinks anything of it. And they're like, well, I don't do drugs. <laughs> you do drugs all day. All day. There's so few people who don't do any drugs. And some drugs are super beneficial. Like, think about that, those weed edibles that made you write this album. That's a beneficial... Well, it didn't make you write yeah. it, but you were on it, it while you gave, wrote it. it was, uh, well, Give I you think, a little credit. I think I was listening to some old records early love, and I was like, yeah, man, that sounds good. <laughs> do that, you, know? you could feel music better when you're high. <sighs> Britney Spears sounds good. You get high <laughs> enough, man. You kidding me? Turn that shit up. Like, yeah, Britney. God bless her. I like Miley Cyrus's music while I'm high. I'm going to admit it right now. That song, Malibu, it's a good fucking song, man. It's a good song. Don't laugh at me, Jamie. Mocks me, as if a young, heard it. young, cute girl can't be a real artist. Right. Son of a bitch! It's like the first thing you played in the studio here in the in the That's gym, right. super loud. Yeah, you got it a big stereo right? in here. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, do you? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Of course, in the gym. This place is filled with speakers. Good for you. I went to. Uh, I'm gonna name drop real quick because yesterday was probably one of those, one of those days where you're like, yeah, this is why I do this. Um, <laughs> Well, I ended up going up to Malibu to, to Rick Rubin's house and was playing him some of the, some of this record I'm working on just to get some feedback. And it's one of those moments when you like you realize you're sitting in, like Rick, Rick Rubin's like all Indian style on his couch, head banging like a fucking caveman, and and he had literally the best sounding stereo system I've ever heard in my life. Could only imagine. I mean, better than any top grade studio monitors I've ever set in front of. It was just like. Yep. That's, yeah, you, and that, that's and really Rick Rubin too. That's the other the, thing. The coolest part that was the only thing that was in the fucking room was the couch. He was like literally like the tiki a guy sitting in the chair in front of that tower. You know, it's like just the stereo on the floor in this fucking empty room. And but it, I don't know what it was or what the speakers even were. I've never seen anything like it. But it, I bet it's like it what amazing. Rollins has. Henry Rollins says these speakers we were talking about the other day. They're like a quarter million dollars. Is that what they were? Mm -hmm. Quarter million dollar speakers in his living room. These these towers, these two towers, and they're just. I mean, I've never I've never f experienced it, so I don't know what it's like. But I gotta assume that you've spent a quarter million dollars for some speakers. 
I thought I'd, I thought I'd heard some pretty impressive speakers in my time, but this was like like some really holy shit. This exists kind of <laughs> kind of moment. Right, you know? right. It makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be that loud, right? It's just that the sound is so powerful, right? Yeah. Two th- only thing. I don't want a car. I want. I want a samurai sword and Rick Rubin's home stereo. That's it, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm aspiring to now. And a Bronco. Give and them, a lightsaber. Give the man a Bronco and a lightsaber. Yeah, I gave. I had a Bronco. I had a badass Bronco. Uh, my second one. We moved. We moved to Nashville in Bronco. My wife was my wife's. It died. I ended up scoring this sweet one, this redneck in like Livingston, Tennessee, or somewhere. I bought it off from him. It was a '92, and he'd like. Matt blacked it out. My buddy Bobby took it for like a month while I was on tour in Europe and stripped all the interior out. We rhino hide the entire liner, Ooh. took all the all the plastic, everything. It was just like a fucking Mad Max death trap. And we had these bucket Colbert leather racing seats we bolted in. Oh. And then I had two kids. And I was like, I'm going to die driving in this thing. <laughs> it had a 400 Windsor rebuild with like cams, headers, the whole goddamn thing. Like my neighbors Ooh. hated it. And um, I gave it to my drummer when his truck died. And he he actually like unlike most kids of the millennial area, really put time and money and effort and work into it. it was like fixing it up, and making it his, and then he's getting married, so he's getting a tree. He got a real truck, so now that Bronco's gone. And I feel like it's probably time to find a sweet Bronco. Yeah, that's a good era too. The OJ's Bronco yep. year is a more understated Bronco. Yep, the locking hubs. Yeah, the move is to get one of those and keep it plain Jane on the outside, but on the inside, just put a badass. See, that's what I, that's and, what I really want to do is uh. Um, cause I don't, I'd like to have some, yeah, it's very unassuming. And then on the inside just look like a rocket ship yeah. with all the accoutrement. That can like, be done. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Um, and very modernized user friendly, but you, what you're going to pay to do that, man, you could fucking go buy a 1970 Cuda or something. Uh, you could buy a house. Right. Yeah. You could buy a house where you live for real. Yeah. Buy a fat piece of land. Actually, Nashville, the real estate has gotten pretty crazy. I don't live in Nashville anymore, but, uh. I don't know. It, much like Austin, I mean, five years from now, there may not be any music in Nashville because I don't know how many musicians are going to afford to live there. Yeah, that's it why I keep hearing. It gentrified so fast. Like an explosion, an right? An explosion. Logistically, the infrastructure, the traffic, it's like a miniature version of L.A. now. When um, did it start? Hard to say. I mean, I, I the first time I lived there was in 2005, and it was a different city then. None of this had happened. Um, a lot of the hip bars now, like, were, there could have been eight people in there on a Friday night. Um I'm not really sure. I moved there 2011, and I think it was like in the last two or three years, though. All the gentrification started around then. They were building these, you know, what used to be the blown-out, dilapidated parts of town. The high-rises started going up and and, and shopping centers and that sort of thing. And uh, and there's still very much the old Nashville. It's almost like two or three different cities in some cases in terms of personality. But the influx and all this change has sort of changed what it what it is but like austin used to be a thriving music scene but now it's like all the tech industry moved in and the cost of living and property is just insane mm. like struggling service industry job day-to-day as we say artists people trying to make it can't they're all having to live like an hour outside of town and, and commute in for the gigs wow that's crazy. And what what do you think was the catalyst? Like, what what caused the launch? Just uh, became a cool place to be. Yeah, I mean, well, there was there was. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, in terms of uh, well, it's always been a publishing hub, right? You know, it's not. I mean, it's a music town, but there's and there's all kinds of music. They're not just country music. 
When, when, when did that TV show come out? There was a big Nashville TV show. That, that would have been about four or five years ago, I think. Do you think that fucked it up? All those dorks, they go, oh, I'm going to live there. Well, I mean, there's definitely tours from that TV show. Drink um, out of a mas mason it, jar. It's such a soap opera version that isn't really that far enough away from how that world probably works. I but never saw it. I didn't either. I watched. My wife watched it one night, and I just was like, no. <laughs> um, I've been there a bunch of times playing zanies. Okay, now that little street where you're talking about, that corner on 8th Avenue, there's zanies. You got uh, Douglas Corner. Then there's like some. There's a lot of shops that I go to on like Sundays. They're the auctioneers. They like do these old estate sales and like really cool furniture. But that little pocket, that intersection, is probably one of the the few remaining bastions of funk left in Nashville. Like that's probably my favorite little corner in Nashville because I can just stand there and it still feels like relatively similar to what it probably felt like 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but a lot of other things change around things that don't. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Um, I, Those are cool little pockets then, right? Yeah. I think I, my, I got a good friend, Billy Wayne Davis. I met him at Zany's one night. He, yeah, back when I was on Twitter, he was he reached out like, I'm playing here tonight, free tickets. So my wife and I went. We like comedy and got to know him, and he ended up opening a tour for me. That place is one of those places where you know – it's good and old based on the number of dead people on the wall. Right. So you're walking around, you're like, oh, Richard Jenny. If you can he's walk dead. in and taste cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know. Well, I mean, the <laughs> photos, the headshots of right. all the dead comedians, there's so many of them. You know, that place has been around forever. Aren't you coming to Nashville soon? Yeah, like a couple of weeks. What day? I don't know. <laughs> I should probably know. I'm doing the rhyming on um, the 30th? Yeah, the 30th. Yeah, the 30th on the rhyming. With the Golden Pony, Tony Hinchcliffe. And then we're in Charlotte the next night. That's what I like. Little short weekends. Yep. Bing bang. Four shows. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. Have you See done ya. have you done the rhyming before? Yeah. A couple yeah, times. Yeah. Cool yeah, I love it. It's I'm fucking gonna, awesome. I'm gonna be out of town, man. I'm bummed. Eh. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Fuck it. I'm always coming through. I come through like once every year. Maybe a year and a half at most. I love it. I might come through again and do zanies. Um, after this, when I write my new hour, mm -hmm. just to fuck around, stretch it out, because uh, you really want to stretch it out at a comedy club. You don't want to stretch it out in front of three thousand people. It's just not. It's not a good. It's not a good uh, development ground. It's not the room to try no. things out. The big rooms are the room. Where, that's when you're done. You got it. You got the the set. You know what you're doing. You fuck around while you're up there, but you basically have a structure for your act. You have a structure for each bit, and occasionally. Y'all deviate, but I, what I don't want to do, I don't want to work out brand new material in front of 3,000 people. Fuck no. that. Well, one night, well, I think I came to watch your show at the store. Yeah. And this was uh, like a year ago. And you had to jet right after the set and go to Pasadena for another set. I mean, my, my buddy that I brought with me, we just like, we're going to hang here. See who comes out. And like Jeff Ross or somebody comes out and he's doing his bit. And right in the fucking middle of it, the back curtain opens and Chappelle walks out and just kind of like, Taps Ross on the corner on the shoulder like fuck off I got this you know and just jacks the mic and pretty much everybody else is set who was supposed to perform that night and stands there for like three hours man Whoa. we're just sitting there I was like dude this will probably never happen again in your lifetime so I'm not fucking leaving and we just sat there the whole time he sat there rocking tequila bombs and getting drunk and just really talking there were times where it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Literally, and there were times where like it kind of got dark, and you're like, "Where's what the fuck's happening? Where's this going?" And he was working things out, 
And then later on, those Netflix specials land, and I realized I've already heard like 90% of these jokes. And because the guy was just like, I'm going to go hijack the main room, work my shit out because I got it like that. I'm Dave Chappelle, you know. But it was fucking amazing. Yeah, he does that a lot where he'll just drop in a place and just do a set. And that's, that's how he kind of works his material out, you know. He just kind of drops in and keeps tweaking it. And it, it, it's, it's if he has a structure, right, like if he has a few ideas that he's talking about, he can just riff. And especially if he's drinking, just go on stage and then he's drinking. and then he's always got dudes behind him that are taking down notes, letting him know, like, oh, you talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they record it too. And then he'll go over it and eventually boil it down to like what that Netflix special was. The two Netflix specials. That shows you how prolific that dude is. To put out a Netflix special and then a year later put out two Netflix specials. Right. And then Netflix is like, We'll take it. What do you yeah, got? He's paid. like, Hey, I wrote this one this month and i'd like to put it down for all eternity are you cool with that <laughs> but most people like you write something and it's a good solid year before you even consider putting in a special you know some guys were doing like a special year but too much of it was like half cooked it's like if you just waited six more months this thing would be like an all-time great special but instead you're banging them out one a year you never f get right. the essence of the thing well his thing too he part of his thing i think is is making it look like it's so easy effortless because the, yeah. the night at the comedy store and it just like it did feel like he was just sort of making the shit up on the spot and then you see the yeah. netflix specials and it sort of feels the same way mm -hmm. like he's just being dave and like he would and these little subtle things that i noticed like probably 10 times throughout the night at really awkward moments he would call the waitress to get him another drink but he would he would only say bar whore and every time he say it, it get a little a little more awkward, like a little less appropriate each and every fucking time. We're probably like, eventually everybody in the room was like, "That's not really cool." And then, <laughs> and then at the end of the night, he's like, the last thing he says, like, "I'm really sorry, I called you bar whore. I just don't have any fucking jokes." And he walked off the stage. I was like, "Yeah, that's how Dave writes. That's one of the ways he writes." But he's um, he's got it down, you know. He's got it down to a science. And the other thing he does is he just travels to towns. Just decides to travel to a town, then go on stage, show up, show up at a three nights club. at the Fillmore. With, yeah, yeah, but I mean, he doesn't even he'll do that. But that's booked. He books that. You have to you book have the to Fillmore. book that shit nine but, months. Right. Like, but if he works somewhere else, he just shows up. Like he'll work at a comedy club and just show up. Gotcha. You know, it's so like I was in Denver once and he just showed up. I came in the green room after the show. It was uh, after the late show Friday night. I went backstage, and Dave's in the green room. I go, what are you doing, man? And uh, and he goes, hey, Joe, I'm just in town fucking around. I go, you want to go on stage? He's like, should I? I go, fuck yeah. I grab him, bring the people back in. People were already getting up and leaving. I said, D ladies and gentlemen, get back. Dave Chappelle's here. And they went, ah. Of course he wants to go on stage. Yeah. Why else is he there? That's, like, that's why he's that's there. That's what he does. That's, yeah, that's, his, he does. that's his thing, you know? But it's just weird to say, like, oh, like, this guy's so free. He could just fly into a town where he knows his friends are going to be. He doesn't even have to call you in advance. You know, he just flew in. And I see him, like, oh, yeah, get up there. Like, he's, he's as free as a bird. He does, like, whatever he wants. And then he does these Netflix specials. They pay him an ass load of money. And then he just does shows whenever he wants to. But his creative process is, like, almost, like, engineered around being loose. Like doing whatever he wants, going where he wants to go, doing whatever he wants, and then writing, you know, and then figuring it out on stage, and then riffing, and then just fucking around. It's fascinating. Fascinating to watch. It's like jazz almost. Oh, it's very much like. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, he's also got being Dave Chappelle down to a science. Like you were saying that you were in the Sturgill Simpson business. He's mm. in the Dave Chappelle business. Yeah. 
Yeah. He does what Dave Chappelle wants to do. <sighs> that's the key, I think. I think that's the key. If we could all be in the business of whoever the fuck you are, whatever you do. Well, it's, I like to write songs and make records and pretty much say no to everything else. <laughs> um, I think that's a good life. Dave seems to be on a on a much grander scale. Yeah, and like yourself. I mean, you, is there any point of the day where you ever do anything you don't want to do? No, not anymore. No, I mean, I do things that I know I have to do that I'm not looking forward to. But that's mostly like exercise shit. Right. You know, like sometimes I'm just not looking forward to it and I have to force myself to do it. Or writing. I love writing, but sometimes I have to force myself to sit down in front of the computer. But other than that, like I you know... You write on a computer? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I can't uh, write. I write by hand, too. Mm -hmm. But when I write by hand, it's really just rehashing things. Right. When I write on a, a computer, I can, there's no way I can write as, uh, with my hands as quickly as I can type. I can type pretty quick. So if, I'm, if I have an idea, and I don't want to hear my voice, so I don't want to say it into a microphone. Yeah. I want to just figure out what the beats are of things. Interesting. Yeah, well, I was going to say, that's, I always write by hand because usually the meter or the phrasing, there's a way it makes me think about it, it goes down right the first time. Whereas opposed I'm just like writing poetry on a computer screen or whatever, you know, you don't necessarily have mm. a sense of uh, the beat. Whereas like, I want things to flow a certain way and land on on hits and that, and I usually just like throw all the consonants away. Hmm. You know, Bill Clinton wrote his entire memoir on um, like legal paper. Doesn't surprise me. He wrote it on like Makes a regular notebook. Makes you think about what you're writing. I yeah. Think, as a, I think he wrote it on like a regular notebook. Like maybe one of those uh, black and white ones that you used mm -hmm. to get when you were. With the, with the splatter covers? Yeah. yeah those, the splatter I, covers I like are cool. Stacks of those things. Those are the best. The I still write jokes colors. in those. When I write, I, uh, when I write on a piece of paper, I'm really just reminding myself most of the time. Occasionally I have an idea that I have to like circle and I put an X next to it and. It's all slow. But if you read my notebook, you'd think I was a crazy person. So There's something to that, thing. too, in terms of memory. Like, if, mm -hmm. uh, if the, I've, I've learned a long time ago, if there's a, a song I want to learn and you got to remember all the words, uh, I'm never going to remember them until I just sit down and write that song yeah. down on paper, like, one time. Once I write it on paper and see it, it's like it's there. Yep. You know? Yep. And like, whether it's mine or somebody else. I only forget the words to the shit I write, weirdly. That's kind of... Like in, in shows, yeah. it never fails. If I, if I like get lost or forget something, it's always a song I wrote. Never, really, like eight thousand old country and bluegrass songs. Like I could just pull out of my ass on a dime and remember all that shit. But it's always the ones I wrote. I wonder why. Get, I don't know, man. That's interesting. That makes sense though. Like right, because the other ones that you remember, they just had an impact on you. Like they mean something to you. Or it's the one you wrote. Like it like comes out of nowhere. It goes through you to your pad, right? It's like. It's almost hard to recapture that state. And then you're like a normal person trying to remember what you thought of when you were in that zone. Whereas if it was a song that somebody else made, yeah. you're like, oh, I love this song. I know well, how it goes. I, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's like because you're reacting to it stronger, more, more strongly. I mean, mm. uh, well, this is, I think there's a thing of creativity that involves the no self, right? There's that state that you get when you, oh, there's a lot of shit that I write where I go back over it. Like, uh, Mike, how did I write that bit out? And then I go back and read it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't remember any of this. Right. Half of it I don't even remember. I took well, it in a hard, whole different that's place. That's the hardest part, though, is getting to that lack of self. Yeah. I mean, even uh, 
I think that's with any art when you're not thinking about it or self-aware or have any preconceived notions about where it wants to go. Yeah. You know. Do you smoke weed and write? I, I don't ever like do one way or another specifically on just purpose. whatever. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I have written while I'm high and I've written when I'm not, you know. Right. What so about for, performing? Generally I don't enjoy it depends. I can't I don't I don't really like to smoke weed anymore. It's something about the way it hits me when I inhale it high it becomes more heady and internalized and like any anxiety or the paranoia people talk about. It's the only time I've ever experienced that is when I when I've smoked weed. Hmm. But my problem is I don't like going on stage stone anymore because you're so ultra sensitive. My ear become like I already struggle with it enough. I'm hearing everything happening and dissecting it all like hypercritical in real time and you can't do that and perform and let go. So you kind of have to like, it's two different brains. Mm. Um, but per, if I'm up there singing and looking at an audience, if I'm stoned, I, I know enough about myself to know, like I'll, I'll get internalized and just only start listening to the band and the music. And you sort of forget that like, there's all these people there you have to give a show to. And I guess right. maybe that is the show when we get lost in the music. And then I've also played some of the best gigs I've ever played in my life uh, on edibles. Because you you know it's sort of like an anti-anxiety and just like very free and you, yeah. you feel everything much more delicately and and, and in terms of response. Mm. Um, but it's not something I would like. Oh, we got to get high. Let's go try to play a gig. You do or you don't. I don't honestly. Kind of no, no, no. That's what I mean. What I mean it. is, you do or you don't. Whatever you, you want. You do or you do. don't. Yeah. There's yeah. no. If if you are, it's just this is tonight. Right. Right. You know, tomorrow's right. tomorrow. It's not like you have a ritual. Right. Yeah. I like a drink right before I go on stage. A shot. See that messes with shot. alcohol messes with my voice. I get that. You gotta stay away from it. I just like a, just a little, just that little feeling that you get with one shot. Like, a, whoa, right. here we go. I like that. Well, no, I did. Uh, what about food? Oh, uh, <laughs> that <clears throat> I'll, I'll, man, it depends. I don't like eating close to a show, especially certain. It's just not good. Yeah, not good. Um, I try to. I'll eat a big lunch and then just fast, and, and I'll eat after the gig most time because I'm I jump around a lot and get into shit. Yeah, me too. Um, and then one time, we did this like radio thing or some shit. And I was I couldn't fucking sing anyway. My voice was gone. It was this freebie throwaway thing for serious, and we'd been in there setting up and rehearsing in the studio all day, and then they realized like, oh, we haven't eaten. I'm fucking starving. I gotta play gigs. So they had some pho delivered, and I ate it like ten minutes before. Do you said to it correctly? Most yeah. people don't even know what pho is. And, uh, it's pho, pho, it just gut-bombed me, dude. Like, the, your worst nightmare. You're out there, like, trying to really push and sing on a microphone and not <sighs> shit your pants. Um, dude, so I've, I've learned my lesson. I hit the wall the other day in my house. I don't know what the hell I ate, but I literally had to put my hand on a railing so I could squeeze my butt cheeks together harder so I couldn't shit myself. Jesus. It, it broke through some weird barrier where I thought... I knew I had to take a shit, but I was thinking maybe I could let a fart out first when I'm on my way to the bathroom. I don't know what I was thinking. They call that the, the gambler. But I took a step. I took a step, and all of a sudden it's like, like if I had a water bag inside my body, and it just broke. And then I'm holding it all together with my asshole and squeezing my ass cheeks, and the fucking abdominal pain is like, whoa! The, I'm, I'm literally, it's, I feel like, you remember when you were a kid and you used to put your thumb over the uh, garden hose? Oh, just yeah. try to really clamp that yeah. fucking thing down, and like, you got to a place where you stopped all the water from coming out of the garden hose, but barely. I mean, fucking barely. 
that was my asshole the other day. And I'm holding onto the railing, just squeezing. And I did these little baby steps like this towards the toilet where I, was not, I wasn't even picking up my legs. I was just sliding my legs over, barely, barely got my pants off. And it was like a broken fire hydrant came out of my asshole, just <laughs> boosh. I was like, where was this? Where'd this come from? Like, five minutes ago, there was nothing wrong with me. I felt 100% normal. I wouldn't have imagined that this could happen. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's flying out of me. That's terrifying to think. I, it could was, happen any time. You could be on a plane. Yeah. Stuck in your seat, and you just shit all over your socks and your pants, and just runs up your back and down your legs. It can happen to anybody. Have you ever had full-blown, like, absolutely horrible food poisoning coming yes. out both ends and you, you yes. literally think i might die yeah yeah i had a real bad once well i've had it real bad twice but that barracuda that i used to have this cool 1970 barracuda was named the sick fish the reason why i named it the sick fish is i got food poisoning i ate linguine with clams in illinois there's no fucking clams anywhere near illinois <laughs> And those things got me hard, man. I, I couldn't even make a fist the next day. I was walking around like a zombie. I was dead. I spent the whole night throwing up and shitting myself. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I was just dead. I drank like five or six cups of coffee because we had to film this thing where we were, they were putting the engine in the car and they were going over the design. I was like barely able to stay awake while I was doing that. I was so wrecked. It's all, I had it one time uh, from this Chinese buffet. And it was, a fr or, you know, the, it hit me at, like, hours later, seven yeah. hours later that night, and all of a sudden it was just, I was in this bathroom for, you know, four or five hours, and it was those things like, it, it was the worst shape I've ever been in, but in the in the back of your mind, you know, you're like, it's okay, you know, I know I know this is food poisoning, but like, it's gonna, it's okay, it's gonna hit, it's gonna go to a point, and then, and then it just, throughout the night, it just kept getting worse, and I kept asking, where is this point gonna be, or do I need to go to the hospital, because... Mm. That was very uncomfortable, you know, like, abdo like abdominal tremors and mm -hmm. shit from puking so hard and your muscles are just spasming and... No, you can die from it. I mean, people have died from E. coli poisoning. There was a, a scene in Food, Inc. where they talked about this little kid that got food poisoning from a... I think it was a jack-in-the-box. And he wound up dying. It was, right? Yeah, it's horrible, man. It's a terrible way to die. I mean, you're ingesting some sort of a poison... It just takes over your system and just kills your cells. Your body can't process it quickly enough, can't get it out enough. You're shitting yourself and throwing up and doing everything you can to get whatever the fuck is inside you out. Right. Oof. Yeah. On, on food, food on the road, you play it pretty safe. Yeah. I'll skip meals a lot of times. I'll, I'll not eat if the only alternative is something, like, really shitty. Yeah. Just because, not because, like, oh, I'm a health nut, but it's just not worth it. You don't know. I bring a lot of protein bars. Okay. I bring a ton of protein bars. So if I'm stuck and I just I need to eat something, I'll just down like a we, – we have a bunch of Onnit protein bars. I like those. I like those Quest bars. They don't have any sugar in them. I like uh, Muscle Farm. I have some good bars. Just I don't live off of them, but it's way better than that. I'm not getting a burger. Do you eat sugar? Very little. Very little. Very little. I'll give them – like last night I had a piece of apple rhubarb – no, uh, strawberry rhubarb pie, though, with whipped cream. Ooh, I went deep. But that's rare. I did a thing uh, a while back. <laughs> I kind of got pressured, but I, I tried to see just how long it went like, as long as I could without any sugar. And the how long did you go? I was like twelve days. Isn't uh, that crazy? That's yeah, it was nuts, man. You, that was, well, it's hard because everything, <laughs> everything has fucking sugar in it, and you just. Yeah. But and then, but after even just abstaining that short amount of time, when I did eat it again, at first it, it was like everything tasted so sweet. You could really. 
understand how much we're getting drugged with food. Um, but my, my thing is coffee. I drink coffee in the morning. I'm not a breakfast guy, but I, but I just can't drink it straight because it tastes like a bucket full of asshole. I got to <laughs> cut it with something. So if I could cut what out coffee cut in my life, I could probably cut out sugar. Oh, did you say you cut it with some sort of sugar? Cream, cream and sugar. Usually See, have. I just use cream, man. Or I drink these. Did you like this? The cavemans? I get a bunch that sent to you. That wasn't bad, yeah. That was I have a bunch sent to you. How do you get the mud butt? down i mean it's just this, like, i don't get mud butt from this right. i don't know what i ate that made me get mud butt but whatever it was it turned out to not be anything like i had that one terrible shit and then the rest of the day was golden it was no problems it's like something got Some in there little micro bacteria i ate a lot of probiotics i don't know if that helps right. but i'm hoping that that's that helps and that when i eat something funky all the good stuff that i eat like i eat kimchi almost every day right i drink kombucha See, I love every steak, day but i hate ass cancer so I don't eat steak very often. I don't think but, steak but when really I gives do, you ass cancer. I like it like raw or like Ooh. really, you know, rare. Rare. I like yeah. it raw. So I I just know that the the uh, the rare occasion when I have a steak, I'm going to get the chaws. You know, cuz it's it's just worth it, but uh it makes me eat red meat very little now. When was the last time you had wild game? Oh man. Like real wild game. Real wild game. Um probably when I, when I was out in Utah, I worked with this kid who was a big hunter, and he would bring in elk, like filet medallions that are like mm. hamburger. And he, they, he would, he lived in Wyoming, so he could pull like two or three extra tags a year, much like, like yourself. Yeah, like the, yeah. the eighteen deep freezers full of every possible cut of meat you can think of made from elk meat. And he would bring it in sometimes when we were working and cook that shit. And the first time I ever tasted it, I was like, I don't ever want to eat beef again. That was the most delicious meat i've ever tasted in my yeah. life i basically eat it almost every day elk yeah almost every day because i when you shoot an elk I, sh I try to shoot an elk a year you don't always get one right. obviously this year i got lucky i got two i scheduled two elk hunts um and i figured i was going to strike out if not both of them definitely one of them and i just i got real lucky on both yeah wow again it is there's there's definitely uh having really good guides had good guides you know, cause I, how I long can you feed yourself and your family? Off, a year. One year off a year. one elk. Yeah, one elk. And, yeah. You, and, and every, I hand a lot of it to my friends. I right. give a lot. I give Gary Clark some some elk. Honey, honey, they took some elk. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were around, man. I'll give you some elk too if you lived around here. Yeah, it's, I, well, we're we're living now. I'm probably gonna. If I sit on my back porch long enough, it'll probably be pretty easy. Well, um, Kentucky actually has a new elk population. Over the last like forty or fifty years, I think they've uh, reestablished it to the point where it's a hunting destination now. They opened it up. Uh, I think you and I were talking about. This. Mm -hmm. I think we were. Uh, it used to be flooded with it back, mm -hmm. you know, eighteen hundred. They hunted them out and they yeah. they repopulated. I want to say in the nineties, maybe early two thousands, and now there's so many that they're opening it up again. Yeah, shout out um, to the Rocky Mountain Elk Federation. That's yep. what they the, that's what they do. They uh, they establish uh, habitat for these animals. We're down in the, we're down in sort of in the southeast corner uh, around the Smokies, man. It, it's it's really weird. A lot of wild turkey and deer. It's supposed bear. to be amazing there. I saw armadillo. In the woods at my house, I was like, no fucking way. Like, that can't, and sure as shit, like, they've migrated that far over and up. Wow. So, they're really varmity. They don't really do much good. Do you have any elk near you? There's got to be when we're in the, we're. You ever hear it? I don't hear them. How long have you been in this new spot? Uh, well, we really haven't even been in. I stayed there off and on a, a couple times when dealing with the contractors. They just they just really got finished and out of there, which oh. is perfect. I got to go back to work. But uh, Well, you won't really know until September. Right. September, you're starting here. 
Yeah. So, imagine. so many turkey and deer, it's kind of going to be an issue. I can't walk outside and kick the fucking turkey out of the Turkeys way. are crazy, man. Yeah, they get man. aggressive with you, too. Yeah. I don't mind. The uh, only thing, I tell you what, man, we got all the snakes and the spiders and all that shit. So I grew up in, around playing with like baby copperheads in the creek. My mom spanking the shit out of me when she caught me. Like, so I don't worry about this <laughs> stuff. But I'll tell you what's fucked up. My wife found, she was sweet. We get ladybugs that come like in this time of year they try to come in and uh, on this like sun porch and she's sweeping a pile up and found a scorpion oh i found a bunch of those out here pile. i was like you what the fuck there's a scorpion in tennessee now that's i gotta crazy. worry about that shit so that's pretty crazy yeah i couldn't believe it man i mean i hate spiders but that's like a whole other level they're supposed to be in the desert aren't they that's what i thought but there are two species of scorpion native in tennessee it's basically like equivalent to get stung by honeybee but they just look so evil man I don't want to walk in the bathroom and have to be like checking under my toilet bowl for I fucking know. scorpions. You always, I always like, assume that they that kill shit. you. When you see a scorpion, I assume it kills you. Well, you know why? Because you remember the original Clash of the Titans? Oh, the, that's the, right. The, that when you're moving and the blood dripped out of Medusa's head bag and then turned that's into right. giant scorpions. That was just, I was a kid. I saw that. So it's like. They were giant. They were giant. Like stinging that guy. That movie was fucked up, actually. It was pretty fucked up, but it was good. It's terrible when you watch it now. That's like a Harryhausen movie, right? Where it was like yep, uh, yep. stop animation. The guy from yeah. some soap opera, whatever his name was, I don't know. That's right. Medusa and That's right. the Kraken. Harry Hamlin? Is Harry that Hamlin. Was? Harry yes. fucking Hamlin. And, How do I know that? Uh, and the guy that played uh, Hades, you know, like the red, the oh, devil dude, yeah. the gods turn into like a... Dude, I forgot all about that movie. If you I didn't saw bring that it kid, up, it was like the TBS that when I was a kid, they would play that and Beastmaster back to back, like every fucking two hours. Beastmaster. So, uh, but yeah, that original Clash of the Titans, man, Medusa did a number on me. What do you got? I think that the was video a, of it. Look I, how bad it looks. I think that might have been the first time I ever actually saw boobies. Was Medusa? Whoa. Look at Clash this. Of the, Titans. the the blood yep. hits the ground. That's it. And oh my scorpions God. pop up. The, ro at, the robotic owl. Look how bad the fucking special effects were. But we were like, dude, I'm in. That's how they did it. Yeah. You had to believe. Wow. Look at that, dude. Sturgill, you better get the fuck out of here. You're not going to catch your flight. Okay. It's 2.20 right now. Yeah, I should do that. We've got to get you moving. Next right, time man. you're in town, i got a grill back here. i got a grill and i got some meat I'm going to cook for you. Thank you. We'll have a meal. Awesome. We'll sit down like men. We'll drink when ale. You, next time you come to Nashville, I, I won't be there and I won't be able to repay the favor. Ah, well, I'll right. be back again. I'll be back at Zany's. Okay. See you soon. Bye, everybody.